Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to From Bob's Office. My name is Jake Mathis, as you should probably know that by now. Um, it is currently 11.36 on Thursday, December 5th, which means you have 20 days to buy Christmas presents. Repeat, 20 days. Um, we are sitting here currently in Bob's office, along with me. <laughs> I'm Jacob Bomber. But if they have 20, that suggests they're buying them on Christmas Day, at which point it's way too late. I can confirm I have done that, so... <laughs> Man, that's rough. Well, anyway, the next voice you hear belongs to the current high school pastor at Arbor Road Church here in Long Beach. The youth ministry community is blessed to have him as a leader in its ranks, and we are very grateful to have him here with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Landini. Hey, guys. It's nice to meet all of you. <laughs> no, I'm really glad to be here. Hopefully one day in the street you see Tony and you meet him, and then it will be actually nice to yep. have met him. Or you might see someone who looks like me. I get told I have a very common-looking face, and so <laughs> uh, maybe when you're in Oklahoma and I'm not, you might see my look-alike. Do you have confirmed yeah, look alike? Yeah, what? This happens once a month. I get a text or a picture sent to me, and it's, hey, what are you doing in Minnesota? <laughs> what? And I say, I'm not in Minnesota. I'm actually in Long Beach, and with that... Uh, they're very surprised. And so I have a very common-looking face, body type, so the most normal that oh, you can be. Oh, man, that is, that is really funny, actually. <laughs> I'm very entertained by that. I wish I had a double booking. I'd make him do, like, dangerous stunts. You don't get to control the people that look like you. That. <laughs> How would that even work? Jedi mind trick. Oh, yeah? How many times have you successfully pulled off the Jedi mind trick? Do you count with cats or dogs? No. Then none. Well, actually, my baby cats cousin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He made him grab me a soda. Did you ask him to grab you a soda? I said, go grab me a soda. And he went and grabbed me a soda. <laughs> I don't think that. Let it be known that Jake was making the Jedi mind trick motion with his hand. He wasn't just saying words. Of course. It wouldn't be a Jedi mind trick if there were no hand motions involved. Of course not. Is that part of canon that, like, a Jedi mind trick only works with kind of like using so, a wand like, in Harry Potter. There are like powerful enough people that don't really need to do things like that. I feel like Obi-Wan was pretty powerful and he did it. There's people that are powerful than Obi-Wan. But like, Debatable. I'm pretty sure that it's not actually. Um, I'm <laughs> so pretty sure Palpatine during like Senate meetings and stuff would definitely sway things without moving his hands and stuff. But does that really add anything, the hand motion? Does it actually, like, multiply someone's power of, like, Probably oh, I, I need I'd to show my hand in order to be stronger in this moment to convince you? Not that I know of. Probably, to be honest, I did it for on-screen, kind of be like, hey, you know Theatrics. what? Theatrics. Yeah. Be like, just show us on-screen, because it's, it's a movie. So it's like, well, maybe. I have a theory about that. That George. Have a theory about. I I think George Lucas actually is from a different planet, and he just brought like his history book and just just, like using that to make stories. Yeah, I guess that explains why his name is George Lucas. It's like the most normal name that you can come up with. He had to. He's like, let's go find some vanilla names, and he picked them. Two first names. That's me. Um, (laughs) I've been to Lucas Art up in um, San Francisco. Yes, I. Yes. I, for some reason, was confusing the word San Francisco with Sac- San Fernando or something like that. I don't know. I, no, but it wasn't San Fernando because it was something else. It was something like I just made in my head. I'm like, what am I trying to think of right now? But it's definitely San Francisco. But we were up there, and like we like walked into like this one building you can walk into, 
I was like a receptionist and it's like a museum kind of thing. This is completely off topic, but <laughs> we, I want to talk about it. We didn't have a topic. That's very true. So, like, and then they have, like, these, like, actual, like, display lightsabers and, like, real stuff and, like, an actual life-size R2-D2 and Darth Vader. And I'm like, this is incredible. Like, the life-size Darth Vader is, like, 7'3". Was he really that tall? He was supposed to be giant and menacing, oh, so. Oh, man. Don't want to mess with him. Is that the highlights? Me just talking about Star Wars? No, I'm... There wasn't, I don't know, there was a singular highlight. All of it was. Other than just me remembering to include that in the write-up later. Mm. I I think we should have a podcast one day where we just, we watch through all the Star Wars movies and then we commentate on them. No. Come on. Well, we're, all of a sudden we're Mystery Science Theater 3000. I am going to pretend like I know who that is. <laughs> That's also a very long name. I know. But... I mean, I guess we don't have to talk about them, I guess, but... I'm going to sit, <laughs> sit here through 11 movies and comment on all of them in a row on a podcast. Fine. Thursday, December 19th, I will be seeing the new Star Wars movie at 6 p.m. I am so excited. Did you buy your tickets yet? Oh, no. I'll wait. I'll wait <laughs> one week. It'll be fine. I'll have nothing to do over my Christmas break, and there will be 13 other people in the theater with me. It'll be perfect. Put my feet up on the back of a seat. I've gone... To like the last four, like night, like the night of opening. So it's kind of like a tradition for me and my sister to go now. The last movie I went to, the opening night, was Toy Story three. I'm sorry. And I, I don't know if you guys like really remember like waiting in line, like extreme lines for these like opening nights. I expected that for Toy Story three back in what like 2012 or something, um, and uh, it had ten people in it. An opening night, the first showing. I know, but it was also like Andy, uh, or maybe it was 2011, because Andy... 2010. 2010, great. Toy Story 3 came out in 2010? Wow. Oh my gosh. Andy is my age, and so watching Andy go off to college was like the time when I was about to go off to college, so it's... Like definitely really emotional watching him like get rid of his toys as I'm like that's what I'm doing with my life right now I'm getting rid of my toys my past putting it aside so I can be a man you know I didn't know Andy had like wow. a set age oh well he's going off to college yeah. in Toy Story three and he was like what like six or seven when the first one came out and mm. I was about my age I don't know something like yeah. that that's cool mm-hmm. <laughs> stop people. <laughs> Jake is very popular. His phone is blowing up. It's about a meme. Every minute. But it's just the, it's a Yoda meme, but so you're welcome. What was the last line I said? And it still baffles me that people show up to the theaters and buy tickets. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you doing? They're all bought already. Like you, can't, <laughs> you can't see. You don't get to choose where you're sitting either. You I think my, my last line was the Power Rangers movie. Oh, boy. Uh, no. Oh, boy. Power Rangers movie was great. Oh, no. I'm saying. Uh, uh, I loved it. I loved it too, but I'm, I was saying like, oh, that was a while ago. Just because you loved it doesn't mean it was great. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I think that's it was nice. a terrible movie. No, it was not as fantastic. No, it's terrible. It blew up. There were like explosions and big robots. In the first five minutes, there's an inappropriate message about a cow. Well, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's terrible. It's like, oh man, this is rough for what should be like a kids' movie. No, it was definitely made on. for no. people who watched it. But as the a moment kid. when they all when they're all charging and then they play the Go Go Power Rangers, oh, I was done. Is this the most recent one you're talking about? Yeah. yeah, the Michael Bay one, I think. Right. Let's play a game. 
Is it over or under 55% on That's the prob- tomato meter? Oh, for sure lower. Are you sure? Higher. It, Ron Tomatoes hate stuff like that. I want to say about 63%. I'm actually really surprised. They got a 51%. Yes. Oh. That's way higher than I would have guessed. Yeah. Audience score, 65. Hmm. I would have gave it a good 83. I rely I rely on IMDb. I hardly mm-hmm. ever agree with Rotten Tomatoes. They, they're they, harsh. They're 100% on some things, and they're 0% on some things, and I'm like, I don't like any of that. Well, good thing that IMDb is more reliable. For me, I... I feel like they're also... Aren't they, like, legit critics? They're... I mean, they have legit critics on... Aren't we all? Yeah. I've seen plenty of movies, I can <laughs> give my opinion. I've seen over 30 movies. Yeah. I can do this. 44 Metascore on IMDb, oh. which is, like, a gathered of all the quote-unquote critics, but a 5.9 user rating. Yeah, 5.9, that's pretty decent. <laughs> For how bad that movie was, that's... What did the Assassin's decent. Creed movie get? I weren't... <laughs> What would 5.9 get you in any other sphere of life? <laughs> I mean, a passing grade? No. False. <laughs> that's, right, that's right below a passing grade. Wouldn't be good. The Assassin's Creed movie got a 5.7. On IMDb? Yeah. There, see? It's worse than Power Rangers. I mean, it should have been. It was pretty bad. <laughs> but the fight scenes were dope. That's the only reason I watched it was to be entertained by what was... Fight scenes and parkour. Because I had no idea what was going on. I've never played a minute of an Assassin's Creed game. Yeah, I never saw that. I, I played like probably about seven minutes of an <laughs> Assassin's Creed game when my friend would be playing, and he's like, "You want to try?" And yeah. I die, and then it was over. That's, that's how I always felt. They're my favorite those, franchise. Those types of games. I'd be much more entertained like watching somebody play Kingdom Hearts or mm, Final Fantasy. Classic. I could watch somebody play for hours. Mm-hmm. You give me the controller, I'd be like, uh, "We're about to stand here <laughs> still for a half hour, running into a wall." <laughs> Hitting my keyblade against a rock. <laughs> um, when I get the new Xbox, we should sit downstairs and you can watch me play the new Elder Scrolls game for like 48 hours straight. I mean, that was when I was in high school and had nothing else to do with my life. <laughs> you st- we can record while doing it. I'll just sit there and play the game I've been waiting for years for. I don't think that's what our audience is going to be stoked about. We can have I can have actual conversations and do things. I'm good at multitasking most of the time. But you're going to be referencing something that no one else is watching. No, I'll just sometimes be excited. Yeah, that's the point. What would be the point of recording while playing the game? We can talk to someone, to talk too. I can do both. <laughs> I feel like that's why Twitch is a thing. Yeah. yeah. So you can actually watch I, it. See, I think I would do great on Twitch, but then at the same time, like, I don't think I'm entertaining enough. No, I definitely am. Um, I mean, if it were you, Khalil, and Ian all on the line at once, that would be funny. I think I'm funny on my own. I don't know if you just sitting there commenting on your own would be as funny as the three of you. They would just say mean things. Well, that's half (laughs) of what makes things funny. I guess so. So there's sports happening. There are. We've got football (laughs) games to watch this weekend. Do you know who's playing tonight? Uh, Cowboys, Cow- Cowboys, Bears, yeah. which is like my two least favorite teams. The Cowboys rank higher than like Minnesota. And no, they're all around the same bottom level of filth. <laughs> filth, yikes! Like you know, like the, you know, a pool that hasn't been cleaned in a long time and has like that slime on the bottom. Yeah, it's kind of how I see them. Algae? No, 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 not no, like algae. Even has a little more respect to me. Oh, okay. It's so above the filth of the Cowboys and Bears. Got it. <laughs> yes. Um, it should still be an entertaining game. I have Cowboys winning by a score. 
I mean, yeah, that's entertaining. If it's a one-score game, that's an entertaining game. That's only if Mitch Trubisky plays good. It's possible. And it's also highly possible that he plays bad. <laughs> he played good last week, which means he could play bad this week. That's pretty much how he goes. Anybody can play any kind of way any week. No. But Cowboys, even though it's at, is it at? It's I at think Chicago. It's, oh, well, yeah, it doesn't matter. The only Chicago yeah, player that really bit. matters is Khalil Mack, and he's not even having that great of a year. I can't disagree with that. I'm not necessarily afraid of him this year, which is big. I don't know what the line is, but yeah, I anticipate. Actually, do I, I don't even trust the Cowboys anymore, even though Dak Prescott leads the league in yards, which is crazy. Jameis Winston's third, too, though. Like, yeah, Jared Goff is fourth. Yeah, so like I, that's <laughs> not really saying too much now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be entertaining, but I think the Cowboys will win. I think they have enough offense to pull that out, even in Chicago. That reminds me to make sure that Amari Cooper is inside my starting lineup. I haven't even looked at my team yet today. It's two, playoffs for me. Yeah, two of my teams are done. So I'm in the league right now where uh, the bottom person, so we have 12 people. There's the winner's bracket, consolation, and then loser's bracket. The person who loses the loser's bracket has to take the SAT. <laughs> and so, what? unfortunately, playoffs start today, um, and I got ninth place. And so I am in the top of the loser's bracket, and so I might be taking the SAT oh, That's pretty soon. And then uh, the worst part about it is that you have to score a certain score, otherwise... You have to buy a round of drinks for everyone else. That's incredible. Eleven other people. And so you have to study <laughs> for the SAT so that you don't have to drop. You can just sign up for the SAT whenever yeah. that's a thing? It's not against the law. It, the only thing that they can say is, oh, we're too full for you. We need to make room for students who need to take it. Yeah. And so adults can take the SAT. And so That is hilarious. I think we should do that. Like, we should like study for a while and then take it because I never took it. Sounds like then you should just take it and see if you can do better than I did. What I like is I can we can take it with high can. school students that we we serve with. Like <laughs> I'm gonna be sitting next to a, like a poly kid and a Millican kid just taking a, a test, and they're probably going to score higher than me. You think currently if you took the SAT, if you took the SAT tomorrow, you think you would score higher on it than I did when I took it? In no. School? Is there math? Yes. Then no. <laughs> it's literally Half of it. verbal and math, and that's it. You really think I'm good at either no, one of those? No, that's why I said that, because you were like, I could do that. I mean, it's not like I got a perfect math score. I got a 660 on the math part. But Out of what? 800. I'd probably get a 4. <laughs> you get 200 for writing your name. But you <laughs> probably also do that wrong. lose points if you missed every question. Yeah. So I don't know, man. If you that's... just don't answer any of the questions, you're guaranteed to get a 400. I didn't take it because I knew I was going to community college. And at the same time, I was like, this test will, like, if I do bad, this is just, like, destroys my life. Like, I can't take this. So it's I didn't just, take it. The importance that is on the SAT is dumb. I hate that the SAT is yeah, so important. Yeah, it was so much pressure. And I'm like, ah, just, let's just not do it then. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, don't. I hope you don't have to be the one that does that. But oh, I'm pretty confident it. that you would. What's the score that would have to be? If you get like a 900. Oh, that, you're fine. Yeah, it should be fine. Yeah. But I still don't want to yeah, give up a Saturday morning. <laughs> that is That would be miserable. Well, good luck. Yeah, thank you. Luckily, we don't have any 
anything like that because I'm currently in last and second to last in two of my leagues. Oh, nice. But I have. I want to start something like that. Then. I'm. I have the second most points in our Yahoo league. I'm losing by point zero eight, eight hundredths of a point over thirteen weeks of the season. I'm eight hundredths of a point back. But that's crazy. Yeah, I would be winning if I had started Austin Eckler last week. But Eckler is like week to week. I don't mm-hmm. know what to do because they got Melvin Gordon, and ever since he came back, Eckler's production dropped significantly. I mean, they're also the Chargers, though. Don't look good. I, but it's, I mean, the Panthers suck, and McCaffrey's still good. Well, that's Although because he's, he's the entire offense. Of okay, well, so was Eckler for a while. That's my point. <laughs> Why? I'm more comfortable down here. You've never done that before. I literally do it every single episode. I'm just down here to start with. Oh. I just don't normally go up and down. He lowered, like he lowered his chair, and it distracted me. I am now currently laying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an Never mind. Um, <laughs> so, Packers. Oh, we're running by a lot. We're playing the Redskins. I ain't afraid of nothing. And, and at home. Yeah, I'm not afraid. Especially if it snows. I hope it snows. We play real good in the snow. As proved last week. Yeah. We I mean, I think we're in a good position right now. Did you see Jamal Williams? He is incredible with interviews. This is his third one that has made like news and it's just it's so funny. He just he is so entertaining. He he's one of the running backs for the Packers and The one that almost died this year. He was the one that got the head to head hit. That, like, oh. took him to the hospital because he was paralyzed for, like, a day? Yeah. It wasn't a day. But he got paralyzed for, like, an hour or two where he just couldn't move. Which was... It was scary. I was very upset. So oh, I want to I wanna play it on the computer so it's easier, but I don't think that's going to work out. So I'm going to try to find it and just use my phone. But you'd think the NFL would have posted that, right? I think it's on the check down. So we'll go with that. How much are they going to win by? Oh, you're eating, and I'm looking. This is bad. This is bad radio. Uh, Jamal, there you are. Okay, we'll see if this works, because hopefully it does. I shouldn't have taken it. felt like SpongeBob for a minute, right? <laughs> then it started snowing. felt like frozen. I was like, all right, here we go. Olaf time. Then <laughs> it went back to raining, so then I felt like SpongeBob, you know what I mean? The goofy goober talking to say mermaid. I actually did see that one. That's so funny. Like, like Olaf like, time. Who just rambles that off off the top of their head? This is like the third one he's done this. Though. I, I don't remember. Like, the they're other all one. great, and he's super entertaining for interviews. And they should just out, they should literally just put him on like Good Morning Football every day, just have him talk. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's his cleats. Yeah. He can do before he goes in. They're going pretty early. Okay, then after. Okay. Record for the next day. But I. Probably going to win by at least 14. At least 14. Yeah. Kind of like last week. Pretty sure we won like 31 to 13. So I, I could probably see a score around that. We got a good kicker, so maybe. But, yeah, I definitely uh, definitely feel like this is a win. And Aaron Rodgers is going to play well because they give up a lot of points to quarterbacks. So I'm assuming he's going to play well. They're favored by 13. Well, that's kind of close to what I said. It is. I'm impressed. Thank you. I might, I might have to bet on Green Bay then. Bob is a Packers fan, and he put he bet on Washington. Come on, Bob. Oh, Bob. Not Bob. Not from not, Bob's not, office. Not Bob's office. The Bob. other Bob. Bob Sanders, Bob. 
Um, Any relation to Dion? No. You asked that last well, time. Well, Barry. No. But those two aren't even related. <laughs> I hope not. Why would you hope not? I don't know. They don't look alike. Oh, <laughs> Barry Sanders. I was thinking of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> uh, I forgot that Barry and Bernie are different people. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> they definitely aren't related to Bernie. <laughs> I, I agree. So your Rams are playing a good game. Yep, we're hosting the Seahawks. When we played them the first time in Seattle, we only lost because Zerline missed a field goal at the end of the game. And that was sad times. That really, our season would probably look a little different if that had happened. Jake just hit himself on the table. Um, nope, that was a wall. Whatever. And we looked really good last week, but it was against Arizona, and so I'm not impressed. But we could have easily just not played well and ruined our season. We still need to win. Like we said on Tuesday, we got four tough games left, and we need to go three and one, which means we have to beat some combination of Seattle, San Francisco, Arizona's an easy win, and I keep forgetting what the other what the other one is. But I don't know. <clears throat> it's at home. That didn't help us against Baltimore. No. Seattle's been playing close games, mm. and I think that helps. <laughs> it helps if. If Seattle goes out to a lead early, then we're screwed because then we're going to get away from the run game and then we're just going to throw the ball all over the place. And even though that worked last week, Goff had over 400 yards last week. NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Um, I don't want that to have to be a thing against Seattle. So, How are you feeling about the, the longevity of Goff? Like, is he the guy? Or is like the I Rams stuck with him for the next 15 years? I think he has the skills. I have seen him make some ridiculous throws, and it's like, okay, you have the arm, you have the accuracy, you can do this. But I think it's game to game like a confidence factor. Like if the first quarter goes well, then the rest of the game goes well. But if the first quarter goes poorly, then the rest of the game goes poorly. And if he has Gurley and Brown running well too, like if those are good options, then that helps balance everything, and he feels more confident in that. But if Gurley isn't looking good early, and if they can't get a run game going, and if they can't get those screen passes going, then he feels pressured to like do everything, and then throws start sailing or whatever, end up in the other team's hands. So I think it really comes down to how him and McVay communicate, mm-hmm. because I think McVay is still really good. Obviously, the last two years did incredible things, coach of the year, um, and this year weird stuff has happened. But for as bad as we've been playing, we're 7-5, and five and we can still make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I think it really depends on how confident both of them stay. Because yeah. it would be easy for both of them to be like, oh, maybe we're not as good as everyone says we were. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is just kind of silver lining, whatever. But I think he has the skills to be a quality starting quarterback for a while. How long until, like, or how long do you have the excuse of, well, he's still pretty new. He's still pretty young. Is that gone? Like, no more? It is now officially gone. When you see guys like Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson doing what they're doing. Crushing. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you need to be at this level now. This Mm -hmm. is how this works. You've had, Mm -hmm. I mean, Peyton Manning, his second year. I mean, he went 3-13 his first year and led the league in interceptions. 
Second year, we went 13-3, and three, and then from then on out, it was fine. Obviously, Peyton Manning is a rarity. I'm not expecting Jared Goff to be Peyton Manning. A match. But if Jared Goff can have seasons of 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, that's not going to be a Pro Bowl, but it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe 30 is a little high, too, but I'll settle for, like, 24. A 2-1 to one touchdown-interception ratio. That'd be great. Is what I'm looking for, and hopefully Gurley running for. Imagine like having to deal with that kind of thing. Twelve hundred yards. <laughs> Whatever. Aaron Rodgers throws one pick a year. <laughs> Thirty plus touchdowns. One, yeah. But we can we can revisit some of those statistics and see how accurate they are. Pretty close, actually. Have one. you not? Do you not, not realize no, that Aaron Rodgers is one of the most accurate? I don't accurate? memorize Aaron Rodgers' you should. stats all the time. You should be um, like, you know what, this guy's the best. You should memorize touchdown him. interception ratio. Is the best ever. Um, I'm going to hammer Seattle. Seattle's going to win that game. For the record, Rodgers' first year as a starting quarterback is 28 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. That was probably his worst year. third year as a starting quarterback is 28 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Okay, but look at the more look yeah, at the last ten seasons. He hasn't had more than eight interceptions in a season since then. Though and one year was seventeen six, and another year was sixteen six. So one of them could have been the years he was hurt though too. Well, there he was hurt both those years. He only played nine and seven games, but <sighs> but the last two years combined, he's got forty seven touchdowns and four interceptions. So pretty good. I didn't say he wasn't good. I wasn't trying to say that Jared Goff would be Aaron Rodgers. That's uh, both that's, Cowboys. That's not what I'm trying not to make. Not Cowboys, but Cowboys. Oh, I was like, what? C A L. Um, yeah, well, so is Kyle Bowler. That didn't do him any good. No idea who that is. Exactly. Isn't another guy on Good Morning Football? I don't know. I he was so. on the Ravens for a little bit. Um, yeah, I think Seattle's gonna win that game because Russell Wilson is a monster. As They're long well. as like Corey Littleton can spy him and. That's all we need to do. And teams, I feel like, don't do that. Because we can't use it. Like, Jalen Ramsey has to actually guard Tyler Lockett and or DK Metcalf because those guys are threats. What about Josh Gordon? Did he even do anything yet? He played well his first game. He didn't play much last game. But his first game, he played decent. I don't know. I just, I am worried about Wilson running around. So I want Littleton just roaming the middle and not leaving it so that Wilson just can't do whatever he wants all the time. I'm concerned. That's a valid <laughs> I would concern. Like to win, but our season's riding on it, so hopefully there's some urgency there. Like Seattle season isn't riding on it, but the first seed is. So the playoffs right now have 49ers and um, Vikings as the wild cards, right? Oh, that's like that's, that's going to be hard to catch up to. Um, those are the two. San Francisco still yeah. has the tiebreaker. What? Did they? Have they played twice? In the standings it shows. I don't know why Pro Reference did that. Seattle's yeah. definitely. Seattle's the number one. <coughs> yeah, because they, and the Saints cause and they the beat San Francisco. Um, that's going to be a really interesting. <laughs> Seattle plays San Francisco the last week of the season. It's so exciting. That could be a fun game. The other prime time game on Monday night is Giants Eagles. Oof. Ooh, that sounds like a blast. Good old Monday night football. <laughs> oh man, like it. You schedule that pretty far out because you think that's a great divisional rivalry game, but 
the, the Giants NFC were bad. East. We knew the Giants were bad going in. The Eagles were at least supposed to be good. But people want to see Barkley. East is the worst <laughs> division in National Football League. It currently, is so yes. not currently. It has been all year probably. But it's so so bad. And why do we have to be? They're on TV primetime every single week, pretty much. I still think you don't understand why that is. Because they're America's team, America's division, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. You understand that with the Packers and Vikings and whoever. Like, the Cowboys and Eagles and Giants and Redskins have been a staple of the NFL since the 50s. So is Green Bay. That's why I said with the Packers and with the Vikings. Bears. So that's why that is. They're in the biggest markets in the country, and they've been around the longest. They have the largest fan bases, and they have fan bases all over the country. Nobody here cares about Carolina. And nobody in, I do. Nobody in New York awesome. cares about the Rams. Like that's not. They don't travel like that. But there are Packers fans everywhere. There are Giants fans everywhere. There are Eagles fans everywhere. That's how that works. So those teams are rated the highest because they're Fans are everywhere, so of course they're going to put them on TV because they have the most fans. It just sucks that we have to. You don't get to complain. You're a Packers fan. They're on primetime just as much. No, I don't think we're as much as the entire NFC East, who's like has a primetime game. Maybe every not week. as much as the Cowboys, but everybody else. I don't know, man. It seems like a lot. We had a lot this year because we're playing well, though. You have a lot. Okay, we can do. We some don't have research. a lot when we're bad. We didn't have a lot the last two years. We can do some research and find out, because I disagree. College football-wise, the new uh, rankings came out, and Ohio State jumped to one, which I'm mildly surprised with, because LSU clobbered A&M, and that's kind of a big game. So for Ohio State to make that jump seems a little funny to me, but... Who'd they beat? Was it Ohio State team? beat Michigan so at I mean, Michigan, which is a big deal. That's probably why, then. It's a better team. And it's like, well, they're one and two, so they're in the playoff anyway. Well, two has to play three, and right now three is Clemson. <laughs> would you rather would you rather play Georgia or would you rather play the undefeated reigning national champion? <laughs> with, I play either. with the probably the best quarterback in the country, at least one of them, and one of the best offenses in the country. They've scored fifty points, I don't know how many times this year. So like being two matters. And then Georgia's four. And then Utah's five, Oklahoma's six, Baylor's seven. Which I think is clever because whoever wins between Oklahoma and Baylor will be the six. But if Utah loses to Oregon and if Georgia loses to LSU, whoever wins that Oklahoma-Baylor game could jump up and be the four and would then play Ohio State. Yeah. So, like, all of those are possibilities. If Georgia beats LSU, then they're both still in it. LSU's not going to drop out. Um, LSU probably dropped to the third at that point. Or maybe I guess they'd have to drop behind Georgia. Um, <clears throat> but those would be the top four. But if LSU beats Georgia pretty handily, Utah beats Oregon, then Utah jumps in, which no one wants to watch Utah. <laughs> you, know, you know the college football people are like, please, Georgia, win, or please, Utah, lose to Oregon so that Oklahoma could jump up. That would be the ideal setting if the four teams are Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Oklahoma. That would be an amazing playoff. Ohio State versus Oklahoma and LSU versus Clemson and then the winners. I think that would be really, really cool. Um, I don't know. I like Georgia, though. Their uniforms are red. <laughs> and their bulldog's adorable. Do you have actual analysis as to why you like Georgia? Uh, Jake Fromm is pretty good. 
he's very good. Um, I think that he's a really good composed quarterback. I, I could see him going first round. Um, all four, all four teams have really, really good. Yeah. Like top five draft pick quarterbacks. And they're like all. If they all enter the draft tomorrow, they well, would all one be top five picks. I said if they all could. Yeah. Two of them can't. Wait, who's the other one? Justin Fields can't. He's only a sophomore. Oh, I didn't know that. For Ohio State. He's pretty good too, though. I but yeah, um, but very composed and good quarterback with Jake Fromm, and yeah, I like Georgia. They're Bulldogs. They're the little dog is adorable. He lives a better life than probably all of us. Do you know what his name is? I don't know, Pierre. <laughs> George. <laughs> George at least makes sense. Why? Why Pierre? Why did you go with Pierre? Could be a Frenchie. Why would he? Like, because it's a French bulldog. I got it. That's pretty good. Do you know what the bulldog's name for Georgia is? I do not. It's Uga. Uga. For University, University of, of Georgia. Georgia. That's dumb. <laughs> that's so oh, that's dumb. That's awesome. He's like the, they keep track, and I want to say they're up into the teens. In tenth. Of, is he tenth? Because it's U- an X. Uga the tenth. Uga X. Okay. Yeah, how long do those does their mascot live? Does it live like a good short life, or does it live a long, painful life? Not painful. They are like, they're so taken care of. They get their own personal hotel rooms when they travel, and like, Since they live with the family and stuff. Like, but like, is that dog like living extra years and just back hurting and whatnot? By year twelve, you're just like, I'm just done. And they're they're English bulldogs, not French bulldogs. Do they retire? And they're all like the sons, or I don't know if they're male or female, but. Started in 1956. And there's already 10. Do the math. They average <laughs> they average have, lifespan. They have the records of the team for the lifespan of the dogs, and the current dog has the best winning percentage of all time. Wow, Uga the tenth. Legend. So the first one was 10 years, six years, nine years, nine years, nine years, nine years, two years, two years. Oh no. Two years, two years, three years. And then Uga the Tenth has been since 2015. Dang, they. I don't know what happened to the recent ones. They kept losing staying. Uga. Yeah. They might have retired. Got a cuter dog. Um, nope. Uga the Seventh. His tenure ended abruptly near the end of his second season when he died of heart failure. Oh, no. A lot of stress being a mascot. And then. Uga the Eighth, the one that took over, um, it was announced that Uga the Eighth had been diagnosed with canine lymphoma, which led to his death a month later. Oh no! Stop! I'm gonna be sad. <laughs> they have epitaphs for them. For Uga I don't the, Uga think the I Eighth, know what epitaph it's like is. the writing on the tombstone or whatever. Do they bury <laughs> them on campus? I I have to imagine a big graveyard. <laughs> Oh my gosh, they all. Uga 1, Stan, Sanford Stadium epitaph. Damn good dog. Uga 2, epitaph. Not bad for a dog. Uga 3, <laughs> how about this dog? Uga 4, the dog of the decade. Uga 5, uh, his epitaph was that Sports Illustrated named him the nation's best college mascot. <laughs> but, I mean, flex, but okay. Uga, Uga the 6th, a big dog for a big job, and he handled it well. Uga 7, gone too soon. Uga 8, he never had a chance. Oh. 
in Uga 9, he endeared himself to the Georgia people. His dedication to duty when called upon was exemplary. What? Oh, that one fits. (laughs) (laughs) That's so nice, though. Size 9 font. Oh, my gosh. I want that on my gravestone. Except for not To the Georgia people. Yeah. You're welcome, Georgia, in advance. I also want a Death Star on my gravestone. The last one, Uga 9. Died of natural causes at 11 years old. He was the only official Uga mascot to date that had visible brown markings as other members were selected for an all-white hair coat or had markings that were hidden from view. Wow. Good for him. That is pretty funny. Branching out. Yeah, good job. Way to be diverse. Uga. <laughs> I was saying diversity. Good job. The things you learn. Uga 10. Good job. If you guys haven't noticed, uh, I don't watch much football. <laughs> I uh, haven't really participated, but I do watch a lot of NBA basketball. Which we are transitioning to right now. So, so good. good Looking forward to that. <laughs> Go. That was very smooth. What would you like to talk about first? Oh, man. I mean, I am personally a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, um, which I know uh, every Carla one of times. you who is listening to this, you are not a Minnesota <laughs> Timberwolves <laughs> fan. Um, but uh, the player that has been surprising a lot of people this year has been Andrew Wiggins, um, which he's currently the 14th leading scorer in the NBA. What? But straight up with almost, he's at 24.9 points per game, and he's in 14th, which is just nuts to me that that many people are scoring over 25 points per game. Yeah. Um, but uh, additionally, um, yeah, he's just been... Like increasing in all of his categories across the board, including assists. He's passing the ball. And so uh, I purchased an Andrew Wiggins jersey back in 2016, and it's kind of been hanging in my closet uh, as I've been ashamed (laughs) to wear it. But I've broken it out. I've already worn it once, and I'm going to the Lakers-Timberwolves game this Sunday, uh, and I will be the only one wearing a Timberwolves jersey in the crowd. Carl Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns is number five on the scoring list. Mm-hmm. He's been crushing it as well. I mean, it sucks. He'll have stints that uh, he looks like an MVP, and then there will yeah. be other stints of four to six games where he's putting up 20 and 10, which is good, but that's not uh, that's not what he's capable of. He's way better than that. And so, But he's also like shooting behind the arc like incredibly, like... I mean, I think he's above 40% right now. I could be off on that. Who is? That's more than Anthony Davis right now. Carl Anthony Towns has been taking about seven threes a game. And he's draining them. 42%. Mm -hmm. It's been nuts. He has a quick release for a big guy, too. Uh, It looks a little awkward on his step back, but he's like on his tippy toes, and the ball's above his head when he shoots it, but it it drops. I, I am shocked. Yeah. He averages nine attempts. Oh, really? Seven. That's even more. He made, He's 3.7 yeah. for 8.7 is his average. He averages as many threes as twos. I'll take it. He averages 8.8 two-point attempts. That's yeah. crazy. He's been crushing it, and he's been good. Uh, it's actually, like, kind of cool, like, this, this story for Cat. Uh, I feel like he's kicked it into overdrive since last season um, once – I mean, there's the Jimmy Butler saga. That sucked. Um, <laughs> but he also got in a car accident that year, um, and uh, he walked away from it, but it actually shook him up. He was yeah. very uh, very scared after that and just realized the the like, the like fragility of yeah. life and, like, started playing better after that. So he took, like, 
five games off and then came back a monster. And so you look at his averages last year and they look okay because of after he came back from the car accident and kind of entered into this year with that uh, ferocity. And so, but that's funny. Anyways, I love talking about the Timberwolves, but I know everyone else really likes <laughs> talking about the Lakers. Um, I so looking at Towns' stats, his rebounding averages for the last four seasons: twelve point three. 12.3, 12.4, That's crazy. He's a man of consistency. That's, but his assist, he's up to 4.3, which is the most he's had, and a steal a game. And 26.3. That's, he's putting up, filling the, filling the box scores. James Harden is averaging 39.5 points. He'll end with 40. He will. That's it's going to happen because he wants to. Because he has like 43 throws a night. Did you see the guy yell at him the other day? Yeah, he yelled back. Yeah. <laughs> what did he say? He, uh, Not some, James Harden. Some guy from the crowd yelled, nobody wants to see just free throws all night. And Harden was like, nobody wants to see fouls either. It was crazy. It was clever. Yeah. I, I was really surprised by how clear the audio was yeah. on that. He averages, he averages 14 three-pointers per game. And he's shooting like, Wait, what, 32? Wow. 34%. Fourteen attempted threes. Well, with the season being twenty-two games in so far, his scoring most. average has increased. One, uh, one, two, three, six years in a row. That's crazy. And the first of those years, it was at twenty-five point nine, and it has increased six years in a row since then. And still, uh, I think ESPN came out and said he was the fourth, like top MVP candidate right now. I was say like, who would be your guys' MVPs right now? Uh, I mean, I'm very biased, but I'm going Luca. Ooh, Everyone yeah. thought Dallas was going to be still be bad, like a 40-win team, and they're like, I don't remember what the record is. Right I'm biased but too, but LeBron James or Anthony Davis. I mean, that's uh, the thing. If you have two, you don't have any. I think that either one could win it, though, because I think right now Anthony Davis should probably win Defensive Player of the Year because he's crazy good at defense right I now. I take it, but I think Giannis is going to be the MVP. Uh, I love Giannis. It's really hard to go back-to-back, but similarly to how Curry did it, he's increased in almost all of his categories. They've just won 12 straight as of last night, and uh, honestly, yeah, like 19 and three. he is a monster. I think even, like, of course people want to see more plays than just dunks, but he's dunking on every dunk. star. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are, you are going to get dunked on this season by Giannis, and uh, I just think that when they are going to be above 60 wins this season, like you're going to have to look at that and give credit to the best guy. 31 points, 13 boards, 5.5 assists, 1.4 steals, 1.4 blocks. Shooting, I think he's shooting, the only person on that team I can name. Shooting 56% from the field. Well, Chris, will Chris Middleton be a all-star again? I think it was I, – I don't even know if he earned it last year. He was but, playing really well, but – I just don't think Middleton is that good. It's so hard not to give uh, another all-star nod to the best team in the NBA, though. Yeah. I agree. Who, who Who's averaging the second most on the team right now? Um, is it Bledsoe? I would imagine. Drew? No. Drew Bledsoe was a quarterback. Yeah. Yes, he probably he had was. more points. Ah, maybe. So Giannis averages 31. Middleton is 17. Bledsoe's 15, Brooke Lopez 10. Oh, Brooke no. Lopez is on there? And oh, Robin. I write. Oh, wow. That's cool. Oh, yeah. I like Brooke. 
And then Giannis also has his uh, his little brother, I believe, Thanasis. No, he's he's, he's old. older. Okay. Yeah, he's 27, Thanasis. Where's he? On Milwaukee. Oh, wow. We so have the younger we brother. We have the other one. We have the younger one. Kronos. That's not his name, but that's what I like to call him because that's a Greek god. Kostas. Kostas, yeah. Kostas. Kind of like toast, but with a K. Kostas. No, kind of like the sea coast. Kostas. Yeah. Milwaukee's kind of old, besides Giannis and Middleton. Like, Bledsoe's 30, the Lopez's are 31, Wesley Matthews, Wesley Matthews, 33, George Hill, 33, Elliot Sova, 32, Kyle Korver, 38. Oh, wow, Kyle Korver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's he doing? Six points. He's a <laughs> so much. He's a playoff stash for sure. Well, I like for, They spread their minutes a lot. Well, because they they go up by thirty. Yeah, Giannis. By the Giannis quarter. is only at thirty-one minutes, and then they have one, two, three, four, five, six guys averaging twenty, and then six more averaging at least eleven. So yeah, Milwaukee is very good. The Lakers are very good. I love it. I love that we're back. If to that's not if that's not good. the finals, then I'll be very surprised. I'm I'm just so glad that we're back to being good. Is um, Kimba Walker back yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he only missed one game. Oh really? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, because his injury looked scary. So I, I was like, is he like done? Because like, was it they were playing in New Jersey, and, or in Brooklyn? Sorry, mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, and they were <laughs> that crowd was chanting, Kyrie's better or something like that. Something <laughs> like that, yeah. Yeah, But when the Nets played in Boston, the Boston crowd was chanting, where is Kyrie? Yeah, because he, he wasn't, wasn't playing. playing. He's yeah. got a back injury or something like that? One of my favorite things to see on like Twitter or Instagram right now is like fake uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweets. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I saw one yesterday that, bombs. Mm-hmm, that, that Kyrie's going to miss the remainder of the season due to having his feelings hurt and uh, doesn't want to, to play with hurt feelings. That's sad. I got a chuckle. Or like one of those like little nose breaths. <laughs> you know, when you read something funny silently. That's pretty good. Nose breaths. Milwaukee, two of Milwaukee's assistant coaches are Darvin Ham and Vin Baker. Neither of you know who's, who Vin no. Baker is. No. <laughs> he, he played for Milwaukee a little bit. He was more known for playing on the Seattle Supersonics back in the day. Vin Baker, not Fun Maker. Yeah, Finn Baker. So every time he would score 12, they call it a Baker's dozen? Probably. Wait, no. That's 13. That's 13. <laughs> I remember that now. I remember it was, it was weird. It's either 11 or 13. I can remember which one. So I went with the, the 12 because it was a dozen. And then I'm like, wait a second. That's 13. You should If he averaged like a 13, 13, 13 game, that would have been amazing. It would have been the Baker. This is weird. Oh, because it went into... I'm looking at... Their box scores. Well, while you do that, um, I had a teacher with the last oh, name Baker, fun. and she was a science teacher. And she's like, not to get me confused with a beaker. And it was really funny. It that, obviously stuck with you. Yeah. <laughs> that was my freshman year of high school. All the way back in 2012. Did you guys see uh, what was happening last night? Uh, in the NBA, specifically with the Lakers, there were a few things that took place that were controversial. You can fill in the listeners on mm-hmm. what they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the first thing uh, was LeBron uh, dribbling 
uh, oh. walk practically like taking you, his time up to the half court and picks up the ball with one <laughs> hand and walks. Uh, I mean, it's about two or three steps. You could argue that it's it, two. I would argue that's three. Uh, but the I'm I'm more concerned with the fact that he is holding it. Like under <laughs> his hand is under the basketball yeah. as he's walking, uh, and then continues to play, uh, and the refs do not call it. So there's this travel call that all of uh, was it the, against the Jazz last night. Uh, all the Jazz yeah. fans are just going wild. Oh, you got went. Bogdanovich up top with his hands above his head, just saying, "Where's the call?" Yeah. That wouldn't have changed the game too much, though. Probably that's not the but point. The point yeah, is, it should have been called. Traveling yes. never gets he called, even, and LeBron never gets called. He even anymore. got to admit, like he even admitted, he's like, "Oh, that one was pretty bad." <laughs> I'm like, "That's pretty funny that he's even that was pretty bad." I just, it's a problem in the NBA in general that that stuff never gets called. Well, it's also LeBron. Like you're not gonna call and that LeBron never gets on the king. Hey, um, hey, hey, there is. So I was looking up some of that stuff because to me, that that kind of thing where steps happen in between dribbles, like that should be a travel. Mm-hmm. I think in general that should be a travel. But I looked up um, this, you know, and whether this is official or not can is up for interpretation. It's from a website and it says the most misunderstood basketball rules, and it says. Um, regarding traveling, it says the traveling rule is one of the most misunderstood rules in basketball. To start a dribble, the ball must be released before the pivot foot is lifted. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, where? Oh, because I looked it up because of this rule. A player may slide on the floor while trying to secure a loose ball until that player's momentum stops. At that point, that player cannot attempt to get up or roll over. A player securing a ball while on the floor cannot attempt to stand up unless that player starts to dribble. So if you have slid on the floor, you get the ball. If you dribble, you can stand up. I was at one of LaSalle's basketball games, and that happened in a game. The guy slid. He was on the ground, got the ball, started to dribble and stood up, and the ref called travel. And all of us were like, that's not a travel. He started dribbling and stood up. And like even they were saying that to the ref, and the ref was like, no, it's travel. So I looked it up to make sure, and it said that. I was like, okay, we were right. But then in the case of what we were talking about, um, uh, it was I swear it was in here. I also don't like the fumbling idea. <clears throat> During a fumble, the player is not in control of the ball and therefore cannot be called for a traveling violation. A fumble is the accidental loss of player control when the ball is unintentionally dropped or slips from a player's grasp. After a player has ended a dribble and fumbled the ball, that player may recover the ball without violating. Any steps taken during the recovery of a fumble are not traveling, regardless of how far the ball goes and the amount of advantage that is gained. So, like, you can start fumbling the ball under your basket and get all the way to the other basket <laughs> without catching it, without dribbling it, and it's not a travel. Mm-hmm. I don't like that rule. You just, like, volleyball it up. Well, it um, makes sense because, like, if you drop the ball, you lose it, and then it's just you like, have to stand still uh, before you grab it. I <laughs> like why they would, like, roll it But, like, to, like, if you're going and hitting it and you just can't ever gain control and you can do that for 90 feet, that's crazy. That's how big a basketball um, court But is. then, so... Finally found the one in context for LeBron doing this. Palming or carrying is when a player gains an advantage when the ball comes to rest in the player's hand and the player either travels with the ball or dribbles a second time. There is no restriction as to how high a player may bounce the ball. So a lot of people thinking like if the dribble goes above your shoulder that that's 
a violation. It's not as long as it's within a rhythm. So if you're dribbling like this, but it's a rhythmic dribbling, then it's legal. Um, but it continues to say, uh, there's no restriction to how high a player may bounce the ball, provided the ball does not come to rest in a player's hand. Steps taken during a dribble are not traveling, including several that are sometimes taken when a high dribble takes place. It is not possible for a player to travel during a dribble. What? So as long, so like, <laughs> you can if, if get. If you got Giannis dribbling above his head, you can get so far down the court in one dribble, taking as long as steps. it's a rhythmic dribble and you don't palm it or get underneath the ball at all. Hmm. I don't like that either. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should only be able to take two steps in between the ball hitting the ground. That's insane. So. Whether those are official interpretations or not, I don't know. But I just I remember reading that and being like, that doesn't make any sense, and I don't like that rule. So, but LeBron gets away with stuff all the time, and I hate it. And now that he's on my team, I'm like, I don't want you here, and I'm going to point out all this stuff all the time. Um, I want him here. It's great. You'll take the championship he brings, though. Maybe begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. I just hate. I hated the Yankees for a long time because they just bought the best players and won three in a row because they just spent more money than everyone and did that. And LeBron coming here, like I just don't like that we decimated our entire good young core to bring in one guy and then another guy and then where's it going to be after two years from now? Like we'll get Josh Hart back. Like, we're the Lakers. We need to be a dynasty, not just a buy a team to win now and move on. So, anyway, <laughs> that's not important. Yeah, it hasn't a, been a dynasty for the last 10 years. I know. I know. It starts today. 2010 with Kobe. Kobe and Powell. I love Powell so much. Something else happened last night, too. One of my favorite players of all time. Powell is all. <laughs> what? Why are you just staring? Because you said he's one of your favorite players of all time, and then he just stopped. Yeah, that's a statement. You don't have a reason? He's just a good player. and He he played well for us, and he won championships, and I like that he's European. Like, I don't know. He's very He was very good in Europe, too. He was like an MVP for Europe. Euroball and all of them. Him and his brother came over. Did they come over at like the same time? No. Well, they came over around the same time. Pow's a couple years older. We drafted Mark, and then we traded Mark for Pow. Good trade. Yeah. I'm glad we did that. Mark's good, too, though, but not as good as Pow. Agreed. Pow should sign with us to retire with us. We're the most important career he had. I mean, he was with Memphis for a while and was really good with them. Then he went to San Antonio and did pretty good with them. Yeah, but he won championships, and he, he liked us. I agree. Like. That's fine. So what else happened during this game? <laughs> well, uh, LeBron was sitting out during the fourth quarter, of course, because they were wrecking on the Jazz. Uh, and he took off his shoes. I believe, did he sign them? Yes. I uh, signed the pair of yep. shoes and handed them to some kids. And then uh, later started celebrating on the bench uh, and didn't stay by the bench. Uh, and uh, when his team, when the Lakers were doing well, and ended up on the floor in his socks. Like, he almost made it to the key. Yeah, he was The deep. play was happening. We were, it was on our – it was on – wasn't on our defensive side, though? Don't you end the game with the offense going towards your bench? 
So that was weird. But it was on defense because somebody was getting blocks down low and LeBron was just going nuts. And he ends up all like 10 feet onto the court. <laughs> he was deep. Yeah, there's there is absolutely no excuse uh, for being that deep into the court. Is there like a technical or something that he could have gotten for it? Yeah, yes. You are. So being on the court, that's definitely a technical foul. I think it's only during an altercation that if you leave the bench, it's an ejection and a suspension or whatever. Um, but yeah, you're not. The coach isn't allowed to go on the court. Like you're not. They give leeway when when players celebrate. Like the whole bench will jump up and their feet will come onto the court. But LeBron literally walked. He just kept moving forward because the play was getting more and more intense. And he ended up so so far. And the NBA didn't post about it, which is dumb. He did. He posted the video of it. The NBA didn't. Oh no, I'm saying LeBron James posted the video of it. <coughs> well, and he said it. his thing. And I mean, he he posted the video of him walking on. Yeah. And dancing on. Oh, yeah. He had a good response. I like his response. Because Kuzma had a block, and he walks past the three-point line. Kuzma gets another block, and he's halfway between the three-point line and the key. So here's what LeBron said. Imagine doing your job at the highest level to where you're not needed anymore, giving your shoes to a little girl and boy who you inspire and hoped you made proud that night then cheering on your teammates because you love seeing them succeed more than yourself, only to be criticized while doing it. People, it's the world we live in, and you can't let it ever stop you from your purpose in life. Negativity, bad energy, hate, envy, etc. will try to bring you down throughout your journey, and it's up to you on how you handle it. I handle it by simply saying thank you with a smile on my face and continue to push forward while doing it. We should get LeBron James to write the epitaphs for Uga. (laughs) (laughs) I, he he just not only excused his behavior but encouraged it. Yeah, I, I'm. If he did all of that from the bench, great. Or even like in the corner, yeah. right beyond the uh, the sideline. Like I, there, people are always crossing the line. Yeah. But to be walking onto the court, you can't do that. Like you have to like just in the moment be like. I was just so stoked. I was so celebrating. I just lost my mind. I know I shouldn't have done it. My bad. Or go down the baseline. Like people yeah. do that all the time. Someone else in the video, someone was halfway down with him, but behind the baseline. Just stay out of bounds. Uh, that's I, that's my other problem though, is LeBron LeBron is usually great at explaining himself to the media. He's usually has a lot of the right words to say, minus the whole talents to South Beach thing. But he is usually very good at using words to convey the right image and the right message. But sometimes like this, like you missed the point completely. No one is upset that you are stoked and celebrating for your team and cheering them on at the end of a blowout. Like, yeah, we're, we're happy that you're not like on your phone, not paying attention. That could easily be happening. Like, so the fact that you're in it and you're involved, great. Do they have their phones just on? Take, not, no, but I'm just saying. But sometimes they have wine, you know? <laughs> but just acknowledge acknowledge that you did something wrong. You did something wrong. It's okay that you did it wrong. Like, fine. Just acknowledge that I messed up. Well, I was too happy. It's funny because he does admit that he traveled in that same yeah. game. So he admits like, oh, man, yeah, I did mess up. That's funny. But then this one is like, no, this is your fault. Like, don't. Don't say what I did was incorrect. It's yeah. against the rules. Yeah. That's that's one of my 
things with LeBron is always that. So maybe he'll get fined for it. No. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. <laughs> do anything to LeBron. Not after he posted that. Are you kidding me? There's no way. You can't. You can't do that. Are they really good with finding in the NBA, or are they more laxed than the NFL? I don't know. Adam Silver is – I think Adam Silver is a good commissioner. That's what I've heard. Like A lot of people are like like him a lot. Yeah, he's the guy – he's the bald guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. The one that looks like a basketball? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Very I mean, tall, very skinny. That's funny. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Did he play? I don't think so. Not in the NBA. Yeah, probably in high school. I don't remember if he – because, like, Roger Goodell's a lawyer. And so well, that's everyone hates Roger Goodell. I know, but I'm saying in terms of what he, the position he held before becoming commissioner. Let's see. But I think Silver was in the league office and something else. I don't remember. It's unimportant. What is important is our guest today. See what I did there? Kind of. <laughs> we didn't talk about baseball. What are we going to talk about? We made a trade. We got a nice durable starter. No one cares about Dylan Bundy. I do now. He's not even the most famous Bundy, and we're definitely not talking about the other Yeah, ones. Ted. <laughs> oh. We're not going there. I'm going down that rabbit hole. Very good uh, Netflix shows about him, though. Zach Efron played him. Pretty great. So Tony's here, and as shown from our discussions, Tony knows a lot about sports. I already talked about... The Timberwolves. I'm curious how that started. I don't. Th- I don't think you said how that started. It's actually a little embarrassing. So <laughs> I. Perfect. I did not grow up watching sports. My household was not a sports home, but my brother, diehard sports fan. You say, well, what's his team? Well, he loves all the Arizona teams because that's where we originally grew up. So everything Phoenix, so Cardinals, Suns, Coyotes, Diamondbacks. Those are his teams. Nice. Uh, but me and my brother did not get along growing up. He was an older brother and uh, antisocial, but also a little bit of a bully in the home. And so whenever <laughs> I could get away from him, uh, whether that was things I liked or even spending time, I did, tried my best. Have these conversations happened? Is this like normal? Oh, yeah. Like he knows. <laughs> like yeah. when he listens to this, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, he'll he'll, he'll agree. Yeah, I, I punked Tony a lot. That's what he would say. <laughs> um, and, but Brian, like my brother, he – watched sports center every night he just got it all in and sometimes he'd watch it again when it would rerun yeah and he just knows every single fact about every single team um and it would blow everyone in my family's minds because it's like well who won the stanley cup cup in 1988 and he would know what team it was and maybe be able to pull out who uh was or like what was the record of the the series and it's just yeah. like you weren't even born yet, and yet you know this stuff. Um, and so he just has a lot of that information in his back pocket. Um, and so I didn't want anything to do with sports because of that. Um, so I was actually like a big video game fiend. Like I played a lot of uh, Paper Mario. <laughs> played a lot of Pokemon Stadium. That's um, cool. And uh, other like Game Boy games. I was just really into video games, and my brother was kind of the one cranking home runs uh, on the baseball field. Um, and so I didn't start enjoying watching sports until college, actually, and so I uh, didn't have any teams for any sports. Um, and then I really fell in love with basketball. I played basketball in high school and middle school, but didn't really watch it. Um, and so uh, I wanted to start following a team because that's what everyone does, right? And uh, I didn't want to be a Lakers fan because during the time when 
the Lakers were uh, doing the best during my life um, when with Kobe and Shaq and Powell. Um, like, I just was sick and tired of people talking about them. So I just didn't <laughs> want to be a Lakers fan. Didn't want to be a Clippers fan because I didn't want to, like, depress myself. Yeah. Um, and at that time, didn't want to, like, be a – a Golden State fan because I didn't want to hop on a bandwagon or a Sacramento fan because also didn't want to depress myself. And so I just decided I'm going to pick a random team. Like who's a, a young team that has potential that like I can follow and support. And so uh, at that time I was trying to decide uh, between the Wizards and the Timberwolves uh, just because I was like, I'm just going to pick a team while they're on the bottom. Yep. Um, and uh, th- at that time had literally just found out that uh, that the Timberwolves were going to get the, the first round pick in 2015 and so, like, before they they drafted Carl Anthony Towns, like, like great, that's going to be my team. And so uh, the last four years have been a doozy uh, <laughs> of <laughs> following a team uh, fighting to get into the eighth seed to get wrecked by the Rockets in 2017. And so, uh, yeah, it's been fun. I actually really enjoy it, though. It's been really cool to, to follow these younger guys and – that team looks completely different besides yeah. Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. And Gorgie Jang also is still there. He's been there. He hasn't uh, done too much, but uh, representing. Yeah. That's super funny. I was expecting, like, just because their uniforms look cool or something. Yeah, the trees. Oh, man, their, <laughs> their uniforms on Kevin Garnett were beautiful. Like, I just want them to bring the trees back. Yeah. They will. Those are those are classic. The and Timberwolves and the Raptors and the Vancouver mm-hmm. Grizzlies, like those are iconic to me. Do you know the name of the mascot for the Timberwolves? Timmy? I do not. His name is Crunch. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a Timberwolf, <laughs> and his name is Crunch. And we actually, uh, me and Natalie, my wife, almost named our dog Crunch. Oh, that amazing! Mm-hmm. Oh. Instead, our dog's name is Pop Tart, which is, <laughs> which is also, also pretty good. Does he eat a lot of pop tarts? Uh, I think that would kill him. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <Bet. laughs> now he's pretty plump, so he looks like he eats a lot of pop tarts. Oh man, <laughs> that's super funny. Minnesota's so random. Like you said, there's nobody else that. <laughs> yeah, Minnesota. We just committed, and I think that's like one of the unique things about following sports. It's yeah. like we just identify with a, a group and we say like this this group is one that i'm going to celebrate and mourn yeah. with um and i think that's as people like that's what we do all the time naturally um and so uh, it's just been fun to do that with people who like none of my friends are timberwolves fans it's fun when i come across someone else who is and it's like we're already just that much more connected yep. um but yeah, it's just like a, un- a unique experience in life. And actually, even so much that Natalie and I are going to fly to Minnesota in March to go watch a game. Uh, we're going to go see what? the Timberwolves play the Mavericks. And I'm stoked oh, because that will be yes. post-All-Star break, Doncic. And so hopefully, pr- please do not get injured, Doncic or Cat yeah. or Wiggins or my pride. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any of those. That's epic. Flying to- it's going to be... Well, yeah. March, at least, it'll start to warm up. It will be cold. Yeah, gonna we're going to have to have a few snow <laughs> jackets. It's going to be Minnesota. But it, it won't be negative 20 by then. Ugh. Dang. And does he look I don't think negative 20 is correct. You don't think it gets to negative 20 degrees in Minnesota? I feel like that's really cold. Yeah, it I happens. don't think you're allowed to survive at negative 20. 
I'm telling you, it happened. There are, what are those things called when it's like super cold? Like the. You're <laughs> like, talking about those. Uh, like when they're, when it's. Bomb it's, cyclones? Yeah. <laughs> but there's like, there was a term for it just like freezing an entire part of the country. Cause through like Iowa and Indiana and up. And Ice Age. And stuff. No. Anyway. I, yeah. Well, in 1996, it was 60 degrees below zero. Yeah, so there. Wait, I was in St. Louis, not Minnesota. <laughs> Coldest temperature ever recorded in Minnesota. It wasn't Minnesota. <laughs> Maybe they didn't have internet back then, so, so St. Louis had to post about it. There's a really entertaining song called... Oh, yes. I'm from Minnesota, and it's pretty funny, because it's all these like references to everything in Minnesota. And it's great. Who who sings it? I, Sounds like a Weird Al song. Oh, it could be. It's not though. Um, but dang, what is that guy's name? As I look it up. Not um, Bodie, right? No, it's not Bodie. That's you should listen to a guy named Bodie though. He's awesome. No, we're not. Oh gosh. Um, he sings a song called Soupy Sunday. <laughs> Don't promote that right now. I will promote that till the day I die. The Braille version of it will it's, be it's on my It's by a guy named stone. Alex Freecon. And... Please don't copyright us. Is he from Minnesota? <laughs> I, I would assuming, hope so. Yeah. yeah, more shoreline than California. I looked it up. It's true. Because Is it because of, of all the lakes? lakes. Yeah. Okay, that's cheating. Land of a thousand <laughs> lakes. Land of one thousand lakes. But like, um, to find a lake though, like, we have the biggest lake in the world, the Pacific Ocean, and that's we should count that. Wait, what do you mean we? The Californians. Okay, it touches multiple other states and. Dozens of other We countries. own it. Mm-hmm. It's ours. Um, Say the circles. <laughs> moving on. Do you... So it's just... It's mostly basketball focused. Mostly basketball, but I mean, I'm a Rams fan just because they moved back to LA mm-hmm. and uh, Natalie's parents... Uh, Natalie's dad was actually a Rams fan when they were uh, in LA originally and then when they moved to St. Louis, he gave up NFL football. And then when they moved back, he got season tickets because he's like, oh, I'll oh, watch wow. football again. And so because of that, I actually got to uh, meet Todd Gurley, like, the season they came back. Um, okay. I have a good picture with him. Uh, he's smiling with the side of his mouth, like, really funky. <laughs> and so it's one that I, like, whenever Todd Gurley does something strange on the football field, I'll typically, like, tweet it. I'm just, like, his awkward-looking face. Uh, <laughs> I crop myself out, though. Uh, you have a picture with Todd Gurley. I do, yeah. He's not as big as I thought he would be. I mean, he's a big boy, he's, but... He's thick. He's yeah, he's not 6'4 or anything. But I, like, I felt good standing next to him in that moment. I'm like, okay, like, 
You I'd would say. You would no, no, no. I'm not, <laughs> not saying that. Uh, he would still wreck me, but yeah. I, like I wouldn't. I feel like I would wake up. You know, like <laughs> there's some guys I see and I'm like, I would not wake up yeah. if you hit me, if you even touched me. It was a weird moment in my life when, in watching pro sports, when I got to a certain age and a certain size, and I was like, I'm bigger than most of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like especially football players, I'm taller than almost every football player. Yeah. And like I just, it's I'm a not. weird because. As Only a kid, when it's like Calvin Johnson is 6'4", 230 pounds, it's like, man, that guy is massive. Mm-hmm. It's like, I was 6'7", 240 at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm massive, but that's just a weird feeling. The weirdest part of that, I one time because of uh, connections with my friend and with the Ducks, there was a holiday party that our group was hosting, and we had a Ducks player come into the party. And for whatever reason, I got to interview him. Hmm. So it was like us two up in front of everybody, and I was just asking him questions. And so it was Nick Benino, who is now on the Penguins. And I felt really bad for him because he's like 5'10". Hmm. So I'm st- he's the professional athlete, and I'm standing well, here just you are also. towering. I'm not at the time I wasn't. I'm towering over him around these people. I just felt really weird and awkward because it's like, well, I'm dwarfing a professional athlete. But then he says, let's put on some skates and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I didn't bring that up in the interview, but I just, I felt it. I felt it a little. I'm used to talking. I'm used to having to look down to talk to everybody. Like He's used to talking down on people. Life, yeah, that's how life exists. Um, but when I saw pictures of it later on, I was like, oh my gosh, I made him look tiny. And I felt bad. But Oh, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> I know, but still. Um, so you played basketball in high school. Mm-hmm. A little middle bit. School. Middle school mostly. Uh, played football in high school as well. Um, like, did you do both all four years? No, no, no. Uh, so I was... Uh, I was a straight A student. I was an, <laughs> I was an AP kid. Therefore, couldn't be a good athlete. No, no. Well, I, <laughs> I, in my mind, grades were far more important. Like in that time, like I could be the best athlete, or I could be a straight A student, and it was like, well, straight A's should trump that any time. Um, and in in that time, that's how I viewed it. And so I was playing my freshman year basketball and football, and that was really fun. Um, I was planning on doing that all four years at that time, and then. Uh, my uh, sophomore year, um, I injured my ankle before basketball tryouts, and so I was going to have to sit through basketball tryouts, and I just realized, uh, like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to do both. I'd rather focus on football. Like, at that time, I was, like, starting as a sophomore on both ends of the ball on the JV team, so I'm like, okay, funny. I'm going to, like, I'm going to play football, like, yeah. and I'm going to get good at it, but then, ironically, my junior year, during Hell Week, I injured my ankle again. I was going to set out for two weeks during Hell Week, and uh, I uh, also was in five AP classes at the time. As a junior? As a junior. And so I was uh, sitting on the sidelines, and I remember talking to my coach. I was like, Coach, like, I can't do anything for the next two weeks. Like, literally, I'm just going to sit here. Like, can I at least, like, work on homework? Can I do something? Stressing out about everything I have to do after I get home after six. And then he's like, no, you're here for football. And that just sent me into, like, a – a freak out of like, how am I going to be able to do both of these? Like, yeah. um, I mean, right now I'm just thinking about it cause I'm unhealthy. Um, but I realized that I wasn't going to be able to get the good grades that I wanted, um, because I was already struggling. And so I decided to actually to step out off the team. 
uh, at that time. And so as a junior, I quit. I'm a quitter, straight up. Uh, did not – I mean, a whole part of it, it's part of my story. I became a Christian that year as well as a sophomore the, the in, back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no one on the team that I was friends with, not a single person did like was I hanging out with outside of the field. And so uh, a lot of those guys were partying. A lot of those guys were belittling and yeah. – uh, I'll use the term bullies in some ways. I mean, I was fine. I'd put up with it, but like, I just didn't enjoy it. And so at that point it's like, well, I've got something that's more important to me and I'm not enjoying this. And these guys are jerks. I want to like, I want to live for Jesus in this time. And I'm not doing that here um, as a young Christian. And so uh, sports went away (laughs) as a junior, uh, which is crazy because I still really enjoy playing Football, basketball, uh, ultimate frisbee. Um, like played a little bit of volleyball in college and intramurals, and that was really fun. But yeah, stopped playing per, uh, competitively um, as a junior in high school. I did not know you were a football player. Yeah, tight end, outside That's linebacker. Awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. I feel like uh, my coach when I when I was leaving, he's like, "You're gonna regret this." And part of me like feels that a little bit of like, yeah, it would have been fun to play under the Friday Night Lights as a senior, but I had a great high school experience. I was yeah. started, I got a new job a week later, so I had money when no one else did. Like, that was nice of, like, um, got to do the things I wanted to do. And my coach told me, like, hey, you could probably play somewhere Division two football. I was like, I do not want to go to a school specifically to play football that is Division two. Like, that's like the, if that's dictating my life, I don't want to commit to that. Yeah. So... I was okay. So we'll rewind a bit, rewind a bit, and go back. Um, what was? Where did you grow up? What did family life look like? What did your parents do? What was school like from younger age moving on up? Yeah, so uh, grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. That's where uh, my parents met. Actually, they both uh, worked, went to the same high school. They were high school sweethearts, but they met. Uh, working at a local water park, um, mm. which is like they met at 15, 16, started dating, and the rest is history. Um, That's cool. And so lived in Phoenix until I was about 10, and then moved to Azusa for a year, Azusa, California, and then from there moved up to the high desert, Victorville, Apple Valley area, and that's kind of where I picture home. Like when people ask where I'm from, I, I think of the high desert. And so... Um, so even... Because you spent more time in Phoenix. Yeah, but you like but you're young. You don't remember young. much of it, okay. and like yeah. my grandparents still live in Phoenix, and so like I'll go visit them. So that feels like a different mm-hmm. era, a different it, time. It feels like grandparents' home, yeah. and um, like I've still got some memories there, but not too many. And probably part of it too is kind of going back to the fact that I played a lot of video games as a little kid. Like I just don't. I wasn't outside. I wasn't doing much yeah. when I was like seven years old, eight years old. Uh, I was in. Uh, Mario Land, you know, <laughs> that's where my brain was. But yeah, my uh, my parents, uh, my dad's been doing construction since he like was old enough to work, um, and like now is like he's a baller, like superintendent for a construction company. Doesn't have a college degree, uh, making buku bucks doing that, and loves it. Um, and then uh, my mom has been a paraeducator since I was like in sixth grade, meaning that she. Uh, worked one-on-one with special needs students in the local middle school uh, and then high school. And then uh, more recently, uh, my mom, probably, I mean, in the last, like, eight years, uh, she started working as uh, 
an escort. Let me clarify. Uh, working. <laughs> <laughs> let me. Cl- I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell another you. word. Nope. That. It's the proper term. So at award shows, uh, there are people who make sure that celebrities or athletes are in the correct locations yep. at the right time. So they're the people with the clipboard and saying, you need to be in this spot right now because the camera's going to pan on you like at the Grammys or something like that. Like yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit you in your seat. And if you're not there, it's just going to be empty. Um, did Kyle do that? Yes. And so uh, my mom's been doing that for a very long time and now actually uh, oversees award shows as the, like, the whole escort team of making sure that – people are in the right spot, she'll be in charge of that with a specific company that gets hired out to do award shows such as uh, the MTV Awards, uh, such as the Billboard Awards. Um, She got to do the NBA Award Show for the last two years, which means I got to do the NBA Award Show last year. Uh, Also, when – was that that 2018 when it was uh, the All-Star Weekend was in L.A.? Got to – work on that one as well. So there was one point even like I was there and I walked past uh, two, uh, two like a list celebrities at the same time. They were crossing past and it was uh, Russell Westbrook walking upstairs and then Guy Fieri walking downstairs. And literally I was like, I had this moment where I was like, I should touch both of them <laughs> just to say that I did. And uh, thankfully I didn't do it. That'd be so funny. Yeah. Westbrook would have punched you. Yeah. Right. Well, it would have been fine. Guy Fury, my- <laughs> I mean, you could have played it off if it was just, Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I was falling, you know, but it was like <laughs> trying to get my balance. Never again. Will I be within grabbing Whoa. distance of these two men? Like true, but that was great. And so that's what my mom does a lot now. So she'll fly over the country to do that. How did she, transition into that a friend of a friend of a friend i mean everyone just kind of said hey we need help at the show you at that point like uh like yeah 20 years ago it was mostly like a volunteer gig you would come do it just to do it for fun and then like labor laws (laughs) like came into effect and uh so you'd get paid minimum wage to do it and she's just done it for so long and was like really faithful to showing up Um, when the emails would go out to see who wants to do it and she became friends with the boss and so she has taken over in a lot of ways, and so she That's loves awesome. it. Mm-hmm. And now she's like getting personal requests to be the one overseeing that aspect of the show from like these big companies, um, which is just so funny. Uh, the one that she uh, really enjoyed partnering with uh, uh, is with uh, what's that? I can't remember. Oh, The Voice. Yeah, it was with uh. The Voice, um, and then also. Uh, there was another show, well, Lip Sync Battles. That was her favorite, Lip oh, Sync cool. Battles. Um, <laughs> and the host is LL Cool J. Yeah. And so my mom is, like, good friends with LL Cool J now. Um, and so I've been calling her LL <laughs> Cool <mad>. Mom. <laughs> like, yeah, so she's got his number in uh, – his number in her phone. There are a lot of celebrities who are like, oh, that's cool to be. But, but like, LL Cool J is an amazing individual. Yeah, he's awesome. He's a cool guy. I mean, I haven't met him, but seems like a great guy. Yeah, oh my gosh. Does she have, like, a lot of pictures of, like, these big famous people, too? Or So you're not supposed to take pictures um, working yeah, that job? Yeah, unprofessional. Mm-hmm. You can get in a lot of trouble. I mean, everyone in my family has worked at least one show now. Um, yeah. And so, like, sometimes, like, if a celebrity will say, hey, you want a picture, like, You'll say, sure, and kind of, like, make sure no one else sees. Um, but uh, what's crazy, um, when Natalie worked to the NBA awards show, um, I had – I was assigned Oscar Robertson, um, which was so cool. Uh, long story, got cussed out by him, which was great. Uh <laughs> 
but Natalie, uh, my wife, she was assigned Dwayne Casey. And this is right after he had gotten fired by the Raptors, yeah. and he was about to win Coach of the Year. Um, but <laughs> uh, at the end of the night, she was handed a $100 bill for, like, as a tip just for like being so great and like one of his assistants handed it to to her and so i got cussed out i got f-bombs thrown my way and my wife got a hundred dollar bill which wasn't allowed you're not supposed to accept it but she didn't know that and she was like oh well i'm gonna keep it so mom if you're listening uh sorry sorry about that we we definitely kept that (laughs) i i really want to hear the oscar robertson story because yeah 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 okay uh, I hold him in very high regard. He, Not that I know anything about him personally. He's an older man. Yeah. Uh, he's a little cranky. Um, his daughter came with to that show, um, and so I was making sure that his whole family was taken care of, mm-hmm. his, his wife and his daughter. And his daughter's, like, in her late 40s. Yeah. Like maybe. He, he was a big player in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And so she's an older woman as well. Um, but uh, the, the way that... You exit an award show is by taking the transportation that's provided to where your car is, yeah. um, and they call it Transpo. And so Transpo was doing all the rides from the secret location, I think a hotel, and bringing people to the red carpet and then walk through and you stay and then you get the ride back at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the middle of the show, like which is a live show, uh, Oscar Robertson says, hey, my, my, my daughter wants to go home. Like She needs a ride. And... Uh, I said, okay, well, let me figure it out, see what we can do. And I contacted Transpo, and Transpo said, sorry, we're not doing any rides for anyone until the end of the show because we need to make sure we have, like, enough for everyone later. Uh, and so uh, I, I told him, like, hey, is it okay if she waits? It was literally, like, a half hour to wait. So it's, like, not a big deal. Yeah. And then so he's grumbling, like, oh, no, you guys need to figure it out. Like, my daughter wants to go home. I said, okay. I was like, Oscar Robertson wants his daughter to go home. Can you guys, like, make something happen? He's like, well, we can call an Uber for them. I like that, but that's the best we can do right now. And so I tell him, like, okay, so it would be, like, the option would be an Uber. We'd cover it. And he's like, I don't want an effing Uber for my daughter. What the? And he's backstage of this live awards show during this time cussing and yelling. And I'm just like, I have – I have a, awakened the beast that he's <laughs> so mad. And eventually his daughter just figured it out on her own, which yeah. is like, you're a grown woman. You can do that. <laughs> um, but he was so mad with me and just didn't talk to me the rest of the time. And it's like, I'm right here with you making sure your needs are met and didn't want to address me. And, and needless to say, Natalie had a greater night than I did with Dwayne <laughs> Casey, the nicest man in the NBA. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Well, no, but yeah, the, it's crazy. I mean, it's and a cool story. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool story that you have. Incredible. So you're like assigned to like one family? Mm-hmm. Uh, this might even be better. Uh, I was actually assigned at the the All-Star Weekend. Um, on Sunday of All-Star Weekend, you get the All-Star Game. If you remember back in 2017, uh, somebody sang the national anthem at that game. I was assigned to Fergie's parents. <laughs> at the national anthem okay. game, the all-star game. And so literally oh, I'm wow. standing in the 100 section of the Staples Center with Fergie's family as Fergie is giving one of the most iconic oh, national anthems. <laughs> iconic because it wasn't great. It was horrible. You should, If you <laughs> haven't heard it, you should look it up. She tried doing her own rendition. I actually talked to Fergie's uh, song coach 
um, that night as well. And he's like, she's trying something new. It's going to be really unique, but she's got it. She, we've been practicing. She's going to crush it. And then she gave it and it was not good, but her parents, her, uh, sister and brother-in-law cheering, loving it. That was so good. You crushed it, Fergie, which also her last name is Ferguson. If you didn't know, which is kind of fun. That makes sense. Yeah. So Fergie, uh, she's, she kind of sang the national anthem that did you uh afterwards did you like look at her parents and be like that was frigolous frigolicious <laughs> uh, i didn't say that but mm. i definitely I <laughs> walked around the whole stadium with her dad to find the his favorite pretzel place uh he's like i've been here before my favorite pretzel place in the world is here it's like what, what is this place wetzel's pretzels that's what it was <laughs> me and uh and Fergie's dad found like, a Wetzel's sir, pretzels. These exist everywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's we, amazing. We literally did a whole lap, and he's like, "There it is." I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> That's adorable. At the same time, it's mm-hmm. like, ah, wow. I had the best hot dog I've ever had at Staples Center, though. They use like Texas toast for their buns. Uh, I mean, Costco is hard to top for me. They're a dollar fifty for a drink and a hot dog, and it's good. Yeah. If I'm going to Costco, I'm going to get chicken bake. Oh, there you go. I do one in each hand. Hot dog, chicken bake. <laughs> Same. Same. You have to get a hot dog every time, and it's either the chicken bake or sliced pizza. Mm-hmm. Give That's me those carbs. I once ate two chicken bakes, and then I was asleep for like 18 hours. <laughs> I'm too small to do two chicken bakes and not go into medically induced coma. So what was school like? Because if you left at 10, that means you left like... During fifth grade or like at the end of fifth yeah, grade? Yeah, I left in the middle of fourth grade. So okay. in February of 2001, 2002, can't remember. Um, that was tough. I mean, yeah, I, bet. I, I left in the middle of fourth grade, meaning I missed uh, a few like staples of California projects. One of them that everyone does in fourth grades is the, the, the missions, missions. Uh, building a mission and like explaining it. So I literally know nothing about the missions <laughs> in California. Uh, but every day it's not yes. important, but it's so funny because everyone can relate to it except yeah, me. Exactly. I also, this one's more important. I missed long division. <laughs> so I, n- <laughs> I never learned what? long division. I just, I don't even know what it means. Like, I just know that that, that was something I missed. Such a random thing to not have. Mm-hmm. Just because different. Uh, did I you not? Did you not enter a school in fourth grade right away? Or did so you just Arizona enter? and California just had different uh, rhythms of, or not rhythms, but standards of when they would uh. teach what they're teaching. And so when I came over, it had already been taught. Whereas I was going to be taught later yeah. in uh, my Arizona elementary school oh, and so i uh, missed that it was also rough i went to a school uh in azusa didn't go so well um got picked on a lot i was also very well, overweight new kid yeah a new kid overweight new kid uh, didn't know long division yeah i uh our missions oh man the worst thing i was called there was santa claus uh, and I complained to one of like the security or whatever they're called in elementary school, like one of those people. And they said, "Stop complaining, <laughs> suck it up, own uh, it, man, yeah, own it, own it, live your life." Oh. Um, and so I was like, "I'm out of here." Left that school, and it was a little bit better after that, and especially because I was only there for a year. Yeah. But uh, school was fine. I actually w- wasn't a good student until middle school. Uh, like, got. The, I think in elementary school, the grades were one, two, three, and four. Um, like, that's kind of what my experience was. And then there was, like, the E's, the S's yeah. uh, for, like, behavior. Um, I got average scores, like, twos, threes, and fours on things. Um, and then come sixth grade, when it was, like, 
letter grades, I just decided I'm going to put effort into this. And from then on, got straight A's uh, from sixth grade through 12th grade. Wow. Uh, one B plus in seventh grade. Oh. In PE. <laughs> <laughs> what? I, uh, that I broke. Oh, man. That I sucks. broke a small bone in my foot. Oh, uh, man. I, I, I just always get injured playing sports, I guess. I broke a small bone in my foot playing basketball. I believe it was from a, a kid coming down on my foot after mm-hmm. a rebound. And um, I didn't think it was anything wrong with it, but I eventually got an x-ray, and it was like, oh, yeah, this there's a small fracture in here. So I was wearing a boot, but it didn't really hurt that much to, to run on except for, like, certain movements. And I... At that time, as a seventh grade boy on the basketball team, like I didn't make it in sixth grade. So to be on the team, I was like, I don't want to forfeit my yeah. year. And so I would still go to practice and I would still go to games, just shed my boot and play and then put it back on after, uh, which is so stupid. I would like hit a middle schooler if they did that today. <laughs> um, but I went, to, I was at a basketball game and I played in the game and then put the boot back on. And my PE teacher was at the game and was like, you have been skipping out on running the mile because of this boot. And it's like, how dare you? Like, you're, you're not really injured. Yeah. And that's... I was like, oh, I am, but I just don't want to do PE. I'd rather play basketball mm-hmm. than run a mile. And so I got a B plus. That's mm-hmm. a bummer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I deserved it. I'm surprised <laughs> I didn't get lower. Oh, gosh. So, so then transition to high school. I'm... I did not realize you were that academically motivated. Yeah, this is a typically people's favorite fun fact about me, because for some reason people don't assume. I mean, <laughs> that I'm a I'm a good student, and well, it's just that it, could it be funny. like a. <laughs> it's, it's not meant to be insulting. Oh, yeah. in any stretch. You I just, always try to make fun there, of it. There are ways that people who are academic in that way generally act and compose themselves and you do not match with oh yeah because personality i'm not naturally smart like i'm just not naturally filled with facts and understanding like i just did my homework i literally never missed an assignment and i would started studying for tests and so because of that i got the grades and so uh we talked about we were uh talking about the sat earlier i got a um at that time, it was out of 2,400. I got an 1860, which was, like, a little above average. But people who also got straight A's in my school got, like, 22, 2,300. Yeah. Like, I just was not scoring well on the test that dictated how smart I was. Um, but, like, when it came to getting my homework done, I did it. What What caused that switch? What made you want to become, all of a sudden, studious and yeah. get A's? I think... Uh, I, I don't think I was ever really that good at anything. Uh, I think that uh, I looked at my brother, and he was, like, incredible at sports. Yeah. And I looked at uh, other people in my life, and there was something they could point out that they were good at, and I just wasn't good at anything in my mind. And so I thought, like, maybe I could, like, be good at school. Like, maybe this is something I could be successful at. And so actually, like really found my identity and my success in school and like the compliments that came with it even the way my mom would like walk in thanksgiving or christmas and explain to my family like oh tony has a 4.4 gpa it's like the first like conversation starter and it's like at the time as a high school you're like oh that feels awkward but also like i love hearing the praise about it yeah um and so that's just what it was was like i want something i'm good at and 
that's what I was able to point to. There's a major like growth mindset aspect to that. Mm -hmm. of, like you said, you're not good at it, but you just worked hard to make it happen. Mm -hmm. That's a very controllable effort and intentionality are very controllable. Mm -hmm. And so you use those things in order to be successful. How much did, I'm always intrigued by the psychology behind it because school always was easy for me. Mm -hmm. Information was easy. I could just know it and move on. I just loved numbers when I was early, you know, when I was young. So math was always easy and I loved to read. So like language and vocabulary and all that was always easy for me. So school for the most part was easy. I was just horribly lazy. Always. I'm still horribly lazy, but I just, I got good grades because it was easy. Um, what I'm trying to think of how you phrased it. Like, was there, was there a pride to like that? I can't even imagine a 4.4. 4. I would just be like, that just sounds like way too much work. Oh, so, it was so prideful. Like I was, I, it was definitely puffing me up like in big ways. Like I just, like, yeah, I thought that like I deserved to be in the top of the school in that way. And uh, I don't think that like, I like people would have come across and said, "Oh, Tony's so arrogant and prideful." Like I, I didn't try to like flaunt it in people's faces, but yeah. in, in my head and my heart, like I found my identity in my grades. Like I just felt like if I would get a B, like I would lose part of myself. Like because like I have failed, and failure was not an option. Uh, and so I think that there was definitely a lot of pride in that. Um, and I think really even competitive of like being in AP classes, you're with all the other kids who want to be the top of the school. And yeah. it's like, there's like, well, you're not. And I am like that, that kind of like feeling uh, definitely feels good for a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I think going back to my brother, even my brother would tell me before I would take a class that he'd already taken, like he, he took AP European history and he's like, oh, I got to see in that class. There's no way you're getting higher than that. I was like, oh, bull. Like, let me <laughs> let me show you, Brian. Hold like, I'm going to – yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hold my beer. Let me get uh, a 93. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I think that competition was a huge part of it as well. So, slight transition. What does Brian do? My brother? Yeah. So my brother's uh, an accountant now uh, for a company in Irvine that they do give out surveys – um, so, like, you can download the app and take surveys for companies and get that information. So he does all the accounting for them. They're a smaller company, but uh, they made their first million back in 2017, and so they've been growing That's significantly. And so, That's yeah. cool to be involved in a mm -hmm. startup and yeah. be there and see the success from it. That's he likes fun. it. So college, what did that look like? Where did you go? Why did you choose it? What did you study? What was that whole process? Yeah, so I became a Christian as a sophomore in high school, and my life completely changed. It was just nuts of, like, that identity in in grades of seeing success, but also, like, another side of the coin was identity in girls and what they thought of me. Like, that was so important. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, those things became to become challenged. I desired to go to UCLA my whole life. That was just kind of, for some reason, my grandpa went there. And so because of that, I was like, I need to go there. Yeah. And so I even like, after I became a Christian, that's where I'm still going to go. Like, it'll be great. 
Um, but then my senior year, I was visiting colleges, um, and I decided to visit a few Christian colleges and um, visited Biola, and just being there was like, this is where I need to be. Uh, and just realizing, like, at that time, like, I was still messing around with girls and knowing that that wasn't okay. Like, I shouldn't have been doing that. Um, and just knew if I, if I go to a state school, if I go to a UC, like, my faith is going to be gone. Like, it's yeah. going to be completely taken away from me because I just won't care. I'll, I'll mess up once, and it will be like, well, there that goes, and it's thrown in the trash. And so I knew that as a senior and said, like, man, if I truly want to follow Jesus, I need to, like, give more than just um, – just like more than just my heart even in this i needed to give him yeah. like where i'm at and so I decided to go to biola uh instead of ucla which nuts ucla offered me more money that year to go more scholarship money than biola and wow. still chose uh, my grandma said i was wasting my brain <laughs> uh, which i said thanks nana um <laughs> but honestly the best decision for me uh, to go mm-hmm. there and even in my first week at Biola, uh, went in undeclared, and then w- a week later decided, like, I'm going to be a Bible major. Um, just really felt like I was being called into ministry mm-hmm. um, and wanted to really impact high school lives, like, in the same way my life was impacted. Uh, and so I uh, became a uh, biblical and theological studies major and did that all four years. So we can, we'll just backtrack then so we can paint the full picture and mm-hmm. then get all in it. So, um, you said sophomore, junior year mm-hmm. is when faith started to creep up. So what, I mean, was there was there anything in life before that, mm-hmm. parental influence, friends, whatever, what led to following Jesus? Like what all went into that? Yeah, so my uh, parents both grew up in a Catholic background. Uh, that's just like what they um, were dragged into. And so when yeah. they got married, they said, okay, we're going to bring our kids to Mass as well. And so grew up going to Mass until we moved from Arizona, um, and I hated it. Like, I did not like it. I was an altar boy because I had to be. I, yeah. did, I did confirmation because I had to. I don't even remember anything from it. Don't remember, like, learning really anything. Um, even, like, we had stickers for the, the memorized prayers that you would do, and, like, you'd look at everyone else's names with, like, 12 stickers, and mine had one. Like, <laughs> it was because of the prayer we prayed before dinner every night. And yeah. so it's like, I know that one. Um, And so I just didn't like it. So when we moved from Arizona to California, I was honestly relieved. I just didn't want to go anymore, and we didn't find a church that my parents wanted to be a part of. And so it was like, okay, well, that's done. Uh, But then as a sophomore in high school, I got invited to a youth group uh, by a friend, um, and I was told that there were going to be a lot of cute girls. Uh And they're pretty emotional. They're emotional. That's what my friend told me. He's like, they need people to (laughs) they need people to rely on. I said, that's me. I'm gonna come and swoon these girls. Uh, And so I went to a church and uh, heard the gospel presented um, in such a clear way. And really, like uh, the the frame of reference that this pastor had used was talking about how much of a miracle it was that that Jesus had worked in. in history, but also in our lives, and that God was still doing things to bring people, all the people in that room, to that place in that time intentionally. And I had this belief that God existed and that um, he had spun the world and walked away, but that was really being challenged in that moment, where it's like, okay, I believe in some God, and would probably affirm, like, yeah, the Bible has some truth in it. Um, and so I uh, decided to, like, lean in and really just felt like I need to, like, dive deeper into this because if what this guy is saying is true then my life needs to completely look different Mm -hmm. um and so uh 
my my friends who went that night went to a different church and so they're like okay our youth group starts up next week let's go to that one and so ended up going to a small group in a home um which it was a huge mega church 12,000 people uh i know nuts um and uh, so this like one home group had like 50 high schoolers in it um and uh just saw so many people i knew at it and was just so blown away by like there's this many people who like love Jesus. What is this? And so I started going to this small group. Um, I was in probably the the worst of the worst of guys group. Uh, the guys who made paper airplanes out of the notes and like threw them <laughs> across the room. Nice. Who would like start wrestling in the middle of small group? Like it was just so chaotic. But my leader was so patient and cared uh, very very deeply about each of us. Um, and through that, through being in a group of knuckleheads and uh, bringing a Bible, like my mom gave me her Precious Moments Bible to just start bringing uh, to uh, small groups. Like over the course of that year from like August to March, just like God was slowly but surely like shedding parts of my hard heart. Um, and in March of 2009 as a sophomore, like uh, was just received Jesus in a, an opportunity where our pastor like called us to if we needed to. Um, and so yeah, it was nuts, like, so cool to see. And what was crazy is, like, everyone in my family, like, had, like, given up on church and on God. It was, like, such a uh, religiosity that they were like, well, that's gone. We don't need it. But now today, um, my parents are Christians. My sisters both are Christians. My brother is a Christian, um, proclaim, proclaims to be a Christian. And um, it's just so cool to uh, to see, like, God work through a random guy brought to a church and now my my family like knows Jesus, uh, and so it's neat. So what was that process like with your family then, when you first started going to church and doing this, and then proclaiming your faith? Like what? Yeah. What were those conversations like at home? What did that even look like? I mean, I think they were excited at first because it's like, well, he's doing something that's moral, you know, and like he's excited <laughs> to be a part of that. And like my mom especially was like, the church is a good place because that's what we always did. Like you, I'm glad you like it. Um, but they like started getting like blown away by the fact that I wanted to go on a mission trip as a junior in high school, like to, uh, go partner with an organization called surfing the nations and like go serve homeless people. And like my dad, I remember actually the week before I left for that trip the first time, he's like, why you're a high schooler. Why the heck would you want to give up your summer? He's like, I, I mean, I get it. Like that sounds important to you, but that sounds that's stupid to me. And I was just like, I just think it's significant that people need to know about Jesus. And, like, it's, like, changed my life so much, and I want him to change other lives. And I just remember my dad's like, okay, that's a okay answer. Um, but honestly, like, through me giving up so much to be a part of a church and, like, even altering the way I was living my life, like, my parents just saw me change at home even. Um, and through that, uh, my parents started getting I would invite them to church all the time, but they never came. But then when I moved out to go to college, my sisters kept inviting them. Um, and then through that, they got invited to church. And um, my dad literally gave his life to Christ the week he came to church for the first time again. Like, wow. he heard a message um, that he needed to hear, just like how weak he truly is, um, and really believed that he was strong but was feeling weak, and then just realizing that he needs to give his life over to Jesus. And so he... Uh, was working out of town that week, and so he, like, stayed up each night that he was uh, working and just read the Bible and uh, would go to work, come home, read the Bible longer, come home, and then on Thursday of that week gave his life to Jesus in his hotel room, uh, which is just nuts. 
That's awesome. So what what is that like knowing, I mean, not in a prideful way, but like you blossoming in your faith leading to the rest of your family doing that? What do, when you're having those conversations, is there a sense of like, do you feel more mature in your faith when you're having those conversations? Do they ask you questions? Do you ask them questions? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I think that at first it definitely felt like, well, woof, you guys are making statements that are inaccurate, like especially being in Bible school while they're like now becoming Christians. Yeah. Um, I think that there were times when they would ma- they would say things that they were confident in that I just felt like, oh, actually, I don't know if that's correct. I think that through time, though, like that they – um, they've been plugged into their church. They even started serving in high school ministry the same time I started serving in high school ministry as a sophomore in college, which is just so fun to see. Um, yeah, they, they grew a lot. I think that they uh, really, I don't want to say looked up to me in that way, but they like really respected me yeah. and like where I'd been, um, but also knew like we're older, we should we should know better. And I think that that was a struggle for them of like, yeah. We don't want to get things wrong in front of our soon-to-be pastor son. Um, and so it was kind of, like, tricky to navigate those conversations without hurting feelings. Um, yeah. But I think now, like, my parents are, like, so biblically grounded. And the big thing is my dad, like, anger was, like, on display 90% of the time from my dad, like, growing up. And I remember my first summer home from college, like— it was like three o'clock. He's about to get home from work, and I'd just been watching TV all day. Like, uh, and I realized, oh crap, the the house hasn't been cleaned. Like, which would just set my dad yeah. off. Um, and so I start cleaning the house, and my sisters are still just chilling. And I was like, you guys need to help clean the house. Dad's coming home. And they're like, Dad's different now. It's like, <laughs> okay, no way, that's not possible. <laughs> like, get up and start cleaning. Um, and uh, he honestly got home, and he walked through the door, and he was smiling, which. I had never seen that once in my life. My dad's smiling from coming home from work. Uh, and he, like, walked in the, and looked out in the kitchen, looks around the, the house, and then I'm expecting, like, why is this place a mess? Like, you guys had this day off. You could have yeah. done so much. And he's like, how was your guys' day? What is happening? Like, I was so blown away by a question yeah. coming out of his mouth instead of a, an angry remark. And so, and honestly, my like, it's crazy. Natalie has never seen my dad angry, which is like, you have not seen my childhood. Uh, And so, um, yeah, it's just cool. Like, Jesus has completely transformed my parents' lives. You mentioned your sisters a couple times. I failed to ask about them. So who are they? What do they do? Yeah. So Marley is three years younger than me, and she uh, recently got married this summer. I got to officiate her wedding, which is really cool. That is awesome. Um, And she is uh currently a youth pastor which was crazy that was not the plan it just kind of like she was asked to be at her church and she's loved it um so she's a youth pastor and then also a substitute teacher um and so she's part-time youth pastoring and like where's that it's up in northern california like rockland area um and then uh so she's loving that um and then my other sister mckenna is five years younger she's graduating from college this year she's at uh, william jessup also in rockland um and uh, who knows what she'll be doing uh, yeah she's uh on the show choir and so Ooh. she loves doing that um awesome. there's a show this week up at william jessup if anyone wants to go go check it out <laughs> um but yeah that's what she's up to sweet mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the 
shedding your hard heart process Mm -hmm. and what what does that mean what did that look like what were there like significant events along the way that you remember in terms of like softening your heart towards god and really what what did it look like for you to change your heart like that yeah i think one of the biggest things was uh the year i became a christian i started dating a girl uh who also was a self-professed christian and um a lot of areas of my life like easily transformed in the sense of like I cussed every other word that came out of my mouth and that was like, okay, I shouldn't do that. And like, that was easy to stop. Literally took two weeks and like, uh, granted my friends were able to punch me if I cussed in front of them. And so, uh, discipline and action. Very effective. I did that too. And that, that makes things happen quick. It was so nice. Um, not really, but, uh, so like other things that just felt like, okay, my, like I shouldn't talk badly about people. Like, I don't know. There was just a little bit more control of my tongue and, um, even started to like see like okay my value is not found in what I'm capable of doing but the one area that was so uh, high and tight in my heart was my identity in girls and so like my thought was like okay I, I'm a sophomore in high school I'm finally mature enough uh, to be in a serious relationship um, and so I'm going to date this girl who's also a Christian um, and quickly just started like getting physical together at, like and it felt like, oh, well, we're both Christians, so this is going to be perfect, right? And obviously wasn't. And yeah. so that was in the dark as I'm, like, growing um, in my relationship with God to, and everyone else's perspectives. It looks better. Start serving in student leadership, but that's going on in the background. Um, and honestly, I was able to, like, block that from my mind of, like, this is bad. It was like, in church, I'm not, like, sitting there guilty. Like, oh, man, hopefully no one finds out. I was just, like, it's just tuned out. Like, and so, like... I think that's just complete hardened heart towards that, towards God mm-hmm. of like, I know it's wrong, but I don't care. Um, and um, long story short on that one, uh, I ended up uh, I ended up cheating on my girlfriend as a senior in high school. Um, just uh, was up late with a, a group of people, and it was just me and this girl hanging out. And uh, one thing led to another. And so uh, through that, me and my girlfriend broke up, of course, um, and – I felt like so many people in my life just kind of pushed me away because I had made such a like irreparable mistake. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I realized like God, literally all I have is you. Literally, like I've I've always had these other things that have been here. Right now, I'm experiencing that you truly are my own like my only savior. Like not a girl, not my grades, not anything else I can have. And it was only like as a senior in high school, looking uh, at my situation, where I realized like I can mess up everything and yet i can still Hmm. have you um and so like honestly in that that moment it just felt like my faith was like solidified that like god showed i still love you i still care for you yes you're an idiot tony (laughs) like you you made a big mistake um and a lot of people have left you but i'm not going anywhere and so i feel like through that i realized okay i cannot set my heart on these fragile things anymore like i'm going to i'm going to make that mistake but i need to continually grab it and return it back to the cross um and so i think those things, like, of course, there's always going to be little ounces of that that sneak back in your life. Um, but, like, I just felt like, okay, now, like, everywhere I can look, these are the things, like, God, I'm realizing that you're grabbing control over. And so um, there's probably other things in my heart that are compartmentalized that I, like, still have yet to process. Um, but that moment is probably one of the biggest moments in my faith that uh, that God wrecked me to to really bring me closer to him. And actually what was cool is my sophomore year of college, um, 
it's not like that that senior year wasn't enough, but that my sophomore year of college, I realized that like I'd had a girlfriend um, since sixth grade, or like I'm dating someone since sixth grade, um, every, like all the time. The, the longest gap of time was three months that I hadn't been doing that since sixth grade. Oh um, and so like, and as a sophomore in college, I was like, what am I doing? Like girls are everywhere. I can't like give this up. <laughs> Uh, and so I actually decided to to not go on a single date that whole year, um, and which for some people they're like, well, I've been doing that my whole life. Uh, but for <laughs> me, it like was an actual huge sacrifice where yeah. I was just like, I'm not going to pursue this because I, I feel like I'm winsome and I can win people over and like convince them to at least go on one date with me. But it was like, I'm not even going to try. And for a year, I'm not going to go on a date. And uh, honestly, that that week I met Natalie, literally that week. Um, but we didn't date for the year. We just became friends. And it was uh, – so healthy for me to say, yeah. God, I'm giving you my heart first. And then out of the overflow of that, the, it's to other people. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit of the background of my heart. So that just flows into what has, I mean, who's Natalie? How did that That was going to be my question. Was like, what? Talk about your new heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Natalie is my wife. Um, we met as sophomores. She was a Bible major as well. Um, and she also like similar story. She, uh, really like became a Christian, like as eighth grade, ninth grade on her own, but then also dated a guy that she got really like, she shouldn't have been messing around with for two years in high school. And so just like we meet and we have like very similar stories of like, we have broken paths and, um, yeah, we really like each other. And so during that whole year, we just got to know each other as friends, hung out in groups. Um, but then as soon as that year was over, literally the week after, it was like, let's date. Um, and so started dating as juniors in college. Um, she, like, is a stud, like, loves Jesus so much and loves me really well, really cares um, well. But she, uh, yeah, so she works at Biola um, University right now. That's where we went. Um, and she's a resident director there, um, which means she oversees one of the dorm buildings. And so we live on a college campus oh, right wow. now um, in a college building. Um, and so uh, that's where me, Natalie, and Pop-Tart are at. <laughs> uh, which one? In Hart. And so it's in the armpit of campus. I don't know which campus. one that is, but I know <laughs> I have friends there. So it's like, yeah. I have friends there. I understand. Yeah, when, when you talk to them, ask them about Natalie Landini. See if they know anything. <laughs> that's where I live. Yeah. What is it like living as a young married couple on a college campus surrounded Honestly, by people all the time? It's for me it's not that big of a deal. Like I everyone I, I thought coming in, like, okay, I'm probably gonna connect a lot with the guys there, like put some effort into that, but it's like when I get home I just wanna be at home, you know? Yeah. Like I don't want to be trying to make new buddies that are gonna move out next year no matter like guaranteed. Yeah. And so um, I typically like only experience I have is with Natalie's RAs, the people that work for her. And then, uh, like I just walk through the building to get to my apartment. And so sometimes people are allowed, especially above us, like running down the floor, it's yeah. stomping. Um, but for the most part, like you wouldn't be able to tell once you're in my apartment, like that we're on a college campus. And so I think it's really fun, like during the summers and during winter when no one's there and we're like walking the campus and it's completely empty with our dog. Like those are really cool moments. Um, but yeah, nothing too crazy. When fire alarms go off sometimes, really? that's pretty fun. Uh, had some people over uh, two weeks ago and a fire alarm went off and 
So there's like 200 of us outside this building. Someone had burnt popcorn, of course, because that's always what happens. <laughs> so how does it, like, are you in like a dorm room? Like, how does that work for you? Or do you like have a bigger like executive suite? Or, it's like... it's an ap- <laughs> executive suite. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the penthouse on the the 12th floor. <laughs> um, no, it's it's an apartment within the dorm. So it's uh, like on the first floor. Um, and next to the staircase, it's like almost every dorm has like a built-in apartment in them where the RD lives. And so, hmm. yeah, we have two bedrooms. It has a oh, small okay. little backyard attached to it. And well, that's nice. It is nice. It's actually one of the nicest ones. One of How? the oldest, but. Oh, that's cool. How does parking work for you then? Uh, RD parking, baby. So oh, nice. Natalie has two spots and I get one of them. So parking over there stinks. Yeah. It's, it's the worst. And people park in my spot all the time. Which I feel a little guilty calling campus safety about that, but it's like just slash no, their tires. I did my time. I was a student <laughs> here, and I didn't yeah, have yeah, works. I didn't have my parking spot, and so now I do. Do you get to eat in the cafeteria? So she gets five meals a week. So she that's can. It? Well, I mean, we get to cook. <laughs> like we have a yeah, kitchen. Reduces. But it's part of her wages is five meals a week. So mm-hmm. uh, I probably go to the cafeteria once a month. Um, but yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that's alright. I was just wondering like, yeah. how it works living on a campus like that. Yeah, we we make most of our meals or eat off campus, um, but yeah, it's it's really sweet. It's cool that we can have a dog because that's a new rule as of like 2017. So, what kind of dog is it? He's a Chihuahua, a Chihuahua wiener dog, and so uh, he's one of the cutest dogs in the world. <laughs> how long have you guys been? Oh, well, you said sophomore year, so you guys. How often, or like, not how often, how long did it take till you guys got married and engaged and all that? Yeah, so we, we dated for about three years before we got married, and then we've been married for a little over three years. Nice. And so, known each other for a while now, like, going on our eighth year. So I met you, like, right around when that happened. Then. Yeah, we met when Natalie and I were just about to get engaged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, back in 2015, when I started interning at the church I work yeah. at now. We get these professional segues. Mm-hmm. How did we – so from college to where you are now, what did that process look like? Yeah, so I I worked at a church as an intern while I was in college. I worked at Forest Home for three summers, and I was in res life for three years. So my resume felt like it was stacked for ministry. Like I just felt like I had it all figured out. And then after I graduated from college – I applied to a few churches and got far in some. Some I got offered, but it was just not a good fit. And then the kind of the phone stopped ringing. And so it was like I didn't have a position lined up, which so felt. You knew that you wanted to be a youth pastor? Oh, yeah. Like that, that was the goal. And that still like is the dream job is like wanted to be in youth ministry. And so yeah. like studied Bible specifically to do that. Interned, worked in youth ministry at a camp, all these things so that it would line up and I could be a youth pastor right out the gate. And then I wasn't like, it was just like, oh, okay. So there's a bunch of churches in the country, but I guess they don't want me. Uh, I really like, I I decided I wanted to stick around near Natalie. So it was like a 25 mile radius and nothing really lined up. And so I um, got a job working it with a furniture moving company because I had to pay uh, off those loans and for rent. Um, And then uh, ended up taking another internship at a church called Arbor Road Church. And so my friend, my best friend, Stevie, um, was interning with the middle school group, and he said, hey, there's an opening for the high school group with an internship. You should do it. And at first I said no because I wanted to get a job. 
and then I didn't get a job, and so I took it, and so I ended up interning Arbor Road with high school, and uh, yeah, that was uh, in the fall of 2015, and uh, worked with a guy named Nick Ranieri, who was the high school pastor for like seven years, um, and so that was pretty sweet. That's how I ended up there. And then what what did it look like? Yeah, how am I yeah. currently the you've youth moved, pastor? You've moved up. I'm no longer mega intern. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I so Stevie, the guy who was interning in middle school, was uh, they were planning on having him take over as the middle school pastor mm-hmm. um, the following year, and they'd been talking about it for like a year already at this time. It was just kind of a slow roll. And so Stevie had been looking forward to that. I knew that. I was like, great, I'm gonna get to intern with my best like around my best friend as he works at this church. Uh, but then Stevie ended up getting a position at another church, Rock Harbor, as the middle school pastor over there. Uh, and so he took that, right, like, honestly, a month after I showed up at Arbor Road. And was like, well, there goes my best friend. Great. <laughs> um, and so he ended up taking that role. Um, and uh, they didn't really know who was going to take over middle school for the guy who was going to step out. And uh, after a few months, they asked me if I would be interested in it. And honestly, at first, I was like, I don't know if I want to do middle school, middle man. Middle school is... These Different little, world, man. They're squirrels. They're straight up just giant <laughs> squirrels. And I uh, didn't know if I wanted to do it. I had, like, wanted to do high school ministry since I was a freshman in college. And uh, that still was, like, the desire. And I was interning in a high school ministry, so doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but then I was like, you know what? Let me just try it. Let me try it out. And so I started interning in middle school ministry that following semester, and it went so well. I absolutely loved it. I mean, those little squirrels are so much fun. Uh, and <laughs> like, we'll say the darnest things, but also, like, have such a capacity to love Jesus beyond what most of the world thinks. Uh, and so, like, ended up taking over as the middle school pastor that uh, following fall, and then did that for two years. And then when Nick moved on from high school ministry, took over high school ministry from there uh, last year. And so, it's been a little over a year in this role, and it's been a blast. So why the emphasis on high school? What was that draw? Like, why was that the draw for you early on yeah. and through the process? Probably because a few reasons. I mean, I didn't go to a youth group in middle school, so I didn't have any experience of what that's supposed to be like. Yeah. Um, and then, two, like, I was just convinced by what everyone else said of, like, middle schoolers suck and, like, don't spend time around them. Uh, and so I was just <laughs> like, I, I don't want to do that. And then... I just felt like high schoolers, which is still pretty accurate, had a greater capacity for deeper conversations. And for some reason, I equated that with that's ministry is deep conversations. And so I was like, oh, I want more ministry. Therefore, like, let me work with high school, which obviously now I know like ministry goes far beyond just having deep conversations. It's showing faithfulness and love and um, really to continue to walk alongside people in the midst of whatever is going on, showing that someone that you care, even if they're. There's nothing of significance that they can offer you. And so, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it during that time and grew to love it. And actually was kind of a little begrudgingly – I begrudgingly left middle school to high school. But it was the right call for me to move in to help our church in that way. So what – you kind of talked about but what's the biggest difference between being a youth pastor for middle schoolers and being a youth pastor for high schoolers? Ooh, so uh, the way that Natalie was the one who actually pointed this out after a few months of me in the high school ministry, it feels like the biggest difference is middle school or high schoolers are going to have higher highs than the middle schooler, um, that they're going to be able to articulate the things that are going well and celebrate and just it's like able to connect over the high highs better, but they're also going to have far lower lows um, that they're going to be able to 
understand the difficulties that are going on and um, just things are more complicated, uh, especially because they're beginning to challenge a lot of the things that they believe um, and just have the power to hurt a little bit more than I think a middle schooler like knows that they have. Um, and so I think that that's the biggest difference is that um, high schoolers are beginning to be able to articulate their emotions um, and um, begin to make those um, mistakes that you hate to see happen. Uh, I mean, who knows if it's right of us to do, but I feel like you're able to write off a middle schooler a little bit more of like, oh, they're young. Like, they're still a kid. Like, they're just being silly. Like, that, like this kid threw a pencil at me once and like almost hit me in the eye. And it's like, okay, that, like that, that, that's fine. Like, okay, you're a knucklehead. I'll talk to you. You feel bad about it. Great. But like, when a high schooler does that, it's actually like a switchblade, you know? Like, it's coming at you. Um, but so, so with – that's a – as you say that, I go, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, how have you been prepared to manage that gap? Hmm. Like, that is a wide spectrum of emotion and intellect and maturity and all this stuff. Like, what what has been the process? How have you gotten to a place where you feel like – you've been prepared to handle that specifically with middle school to high school or is all within like ninth to 12th grade? Yeah. We'll just go high school. Since okay. Then. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing is just realizing that we'll never have it all figured out. I think that's the, like the biggest lesson I've learned is that like I need to be a learner of people mm-hmm. and even the general stats and the general truths that people will state, uh, are not always going to be accurate about like a person's experience. And so, um, I think that's been huge of like learning how to be empathetic with students and like allowing their experience to be valid, even if it's irrational. Um, and so I think that I'm constantly learning from students. Uh, I also think um, the best thing that I could do as a youth pastor is get more people to care for students besides myself and to care for them. And so I've been uh, trying to make sure that my leaders, the people who are serving alongside me, are equipped and feel loved by me because. Uh, the more I can multiply myself, the better, because I cannot spend time with every single student. I cannot. Mm. If every student had a problem and gave me a call, I'm not going to get called them all back in the same day. There's just not yeah. enough time. And so, um, yeah, I think just being a learner and having people come alongside me. Do you, how much of a burden have you felt as in your position? Hmm. Yeah, I think... I think it just depends on the week. Uh, there's there's some weeks where I, I realize that uh, my role is so important in a student's life, and that like I have the potential to fail big time and drop the ball and really hurt people, mm-hmm. um, not just for this life but for eternity in a way. And then there's other times where I just realize that like you know God's in control. Like He's in the control of my life. The fact that I am a Christian, like I look back on my story and it's like. There's not much that a youth pastor can really point to and say they did. Like a friend invited me to church. One youth pastor gave a great message, and then I went to a mega church that I didn't really know the youth pastor there. It was like through this leader who really cared for me. Um, and so, like, I look back and I'm just reminded, and even in Scripture, that like God's constantly working through all things, and mm-hmm. He's the one who's uh, like worthy of the credit. And so. I think when I'm reminded of those truths, it's actually really freeing of like, okay, my job is to be faithful and to really just show up and to remember people's names uh, and to like really ask them how they're doing. And then um, from there, like God's going to continue to work. So in this expanse, so since you first, maybe since you were in youth group as a high schooler and then 
to where you are now, what are the biggest changes you have seen in doing youth ministry? Yeah, I think some of the biggest changes for me since I first started in youth ministry. Um, so I, when I started interning at the church that I first interned at uh, when I was at Biola, uh, one of the things the youth pastor always told me is like, this is a place where you should be able to fail. Like, and I was just like, what, what does that mean? And uh, he yeah. would always say like, you you should be okay with failing here. So he's like, you're gonna teach and you're not gonna like get 100% and that's okay. Like, and just was all about like it being a place where failure is accepted and um, not just so that fa- for failure's sake, but so that we can grow from it. Um, and so I remember coming into youth ministry and saying like, oh, I want that to be like a mantra of mine too. Is like I want the people who serve alongside me to feel the freedom to fail well. Uh, and I don't think that I did that. I definitely was uh, desiring everything to be perfect to a T, even like making sure that the people who hold a microphone are like as professional as possible. Like, um, of course, they're funny, but they're also like getting the things right. And so I like just had like these standards of everything that people were doing and just wanted it to be high, like top notch. Um, and I think that's just even just part of my story of like wanting to be successful in yeah. everything I'm doing. But uh, I think I've just learned uh, more about how uh, that I want, I literally do desire for there to be opportunities for people to fail. And even like a year or four years ago, I don't think I would have uh, allowed a student to give announcements with me, like as a middle schooler, especially, man. Um, <laughs> and just because I don't, I was so nervous about what's going to happen. Oh, and yeah, I'm in that's, charge. That's a wild card. You yeah. put a middle schooler <laughs> right. up there on the microphone. Yikes. Like, I would never have done that. But then even like this last Sunday, me and a freshman girl um, were on stage running our game and announcements and um, like giving like kind of like the first 15 minutes of our service. Um, and she did not do a good job. Like really like <laughs> on, like, she did okay. She was like, she spoke into the microphone, but she was very nervous and like pacing back and forth and not really remembering what she was supposed to say, saying things incorrectly. Like that's the wrong date of the event you're supposed to tell us. of. <laughs> and, but yet like I, I actually did not walk off the stage frustrated or disappointed or anything. It was like, wow, way to get up there. Like you did a good job in the fact that you tried and that you want to serve your peers. And like, in a sense, yes, she failed, but how much more so is she going to continue to soar because of that? Um, and so, like, I just feel like my heart's actually changed, and that's actually being modeled in my ministry now. And um, I think that that student and the rest of our youth group will benefit more in the relationship with Christ because of that. <laughs> yeah, the idea of being able to not do things well, I think, is not something our society handles very well. Mm-mm. Yeah, and, and so, it's good to show failures too because then they can relate to it be like you know what that's what i would do too mm-hmm. and instead instead of like someone perfectly good at speaking out and like stuff like that seeing someone who struggles with it too is pretty important to kids who are like really bad at it what so as you pastor kids what to you personally is like the most important thing that you try to get across to them as often as possible yeah so i think i mean in simple terms, I feel like the gospel is like the thing I always want to make sure that uh, students are hearing that like they need Jesus far more than they think they could ever need him, um, and that like Jesus actually impacts their lives today, not just tomorrow for like heaven, but like that Jesus entering into our lives changes us today. Um, and then I think even just I want students to know that it's not uh, like it's not a 
it's going to change their lives, but not in a way that's going to make their lives more boring or depressing. Like that following Jesus is actually one of the most fulfilling and life-giving things you can ever do. And it gives purpose to everything that you actually like. Like the things that you enjoy, whether that be sports or your musical instrument or like even the the YouTube series you watch, like all those things, yeah, they're great. But the fact when you understand that uh, Jesus has absolutely changed everything about what life is about, meaning our identity, our purpose, like it really just changes how we engage with those things and we're actually able to see I like this, but I don't need this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually freeing. Whereas before, like before Jesus, I would have said all these things. I needed success in school. I needed girls' attention. And if I didn't have that, I felt less than. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now it's like, yeah, those things are great. Like if I'm successful, I'm in seminary right now. And like if I if I get an A, it's like still, like that feels good. But it's like if I, if I got a C, like that would be a bummer, but I'm not going to be wrecked over it. Like my life's going to continue to go on and God's still going to get the glory and so for students to really understand that they can be free from the things that they really attach themselves to is something that I, I try to constantly return to. And that's hard to understand. I mean, we all struggle with that. And so how much more so is a, a student who's like, able, like struggling to articulate that that's what they're doing is struggling with that. What would you say are your biggest fears, maybe not be the right word, but like obstacles or things that get in the way of being able to properly pastor to kids or minister kids either you know personal stuff or things that they have like what are the biggest things that get in the way of properly ministering to kids yeah so for me uh success boy um i i'm so task oriented i have a checklist on my whiteboard right now that's like it says things to do this week um and i can get so caught up in that Mm -hmm. of like how many boxes are still empty at by thursday which I take off Fridays and Saturdays, and so it's like how many boxes are going to be empty today um, can really impact how I'm feeling um, of like how well I'm doing my job, which is not an accurate depiction of how well I'm pastoring. Yeah. Um, and so I get so distracted by tasks um, all the time. And so even uh, had a conversation with a student about a year ago who called me out on it, uh, just like, hey, like Tony, you're here to care for us and like at 625 when youth ministry starts at 630, you're on your computer making sure that the slides are working and things. And like there are people right in front of you trying to talk to you and you're like, yeah, 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 pushing them away. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I do want wow. things to just to be so high quality and so good because really I'm a pastor and I don't want any distractions. It's like a good desire still. Um, but I missed in those moments why I was doing what I was doing. Like I'm here to be with people and because I'm trying to focus on the program, I'm actually missing being with people. Mm-hmm. And it took a, a senior girl that's, calling me out on impressive that. impressive. Yeah. It, student it, and it was that's like incredible. done well too. Like yeah. she was like, I might be wrong on this and kind of listed everything, but she's like, this is what I've been seeing and I want the best for us and for you. And I'm like, who are you? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but that, like, really challenged me. I just realized, like, yeah, like, my job is not to fulfill a bunch of jobs each week. It's, like, to be with people and mm-hmm. to really point them towards Jesus. And so um, I still struggle with it. I mean, I think there's some really cool, like, pros to the way I think. I think I'm very productive um, yeah. and get a lot of things done. Um, but then uh, it takes people, like that student, making sure that my uh, life gets checked uh, before Jesus even. And so... Um, yeah, that ends up being the biggest hurdle to get across, but it hasn't been, gone unnoticed. What do you think is one of the most important things 
for parents to know or parents to hear in terms of the faith of their students and helping their students grow in, in their relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I'm a huge advocate that parents are the biggest disciplers, the most important disciplers of their children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of parents will nowadays even just like get behind that and say, yeah, you're right. Um, but then they just, I think that there's so much pressure from a parent, a parent placing it on themselves even of like, okay, I need to know everything. Like this youth pastor has a Bible degree. He knows so much more than me. And it's like, no, like in the same way, my job is to be with these students. Like that's the job of a parent too, is walk through life with them, love them well, point them back towards truth. If you don't know what the truth is in that moment, actually look for it. Um, It's like, I think a lot of parents, um, and I'm not one, so of course, like, I've got to check at the door like this, but um, I think a lot of parents are are so um, nervous by kids pushing them away that they actually shy away from engaging with their parents, especially in their teenage years, but that's, like, what's most needed. Even if your kid's, like, responding poorly to you being there for them, it's going to be so much better for their faith and for their, your relationship over the, like their whole life if you're actually continuing to pursue them and remind them of truth and love them well and understand that they're going to make mistakes. Like Your kid is going to make a lot of mistakes, and that, um, that may, that's probably not just going to be because you've parented wrong or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. I just think that you've got an individual who's making their own decisions in your house that you have set rules to and they might not agree with, and... And so, yeah, I think the biggest thing in summary is just, like, that parents, like, you've got to, like, really seek after your kids. Seek to learn what they're they're going through, what they're, like, feeling and why they're feeling it. Uh, don't take okay for an answer. Um, and be as patient as possible because teenagers are really, really hard to be patient with, um, especially when you're in charge of them. True. Do you have any of your fun questions or do you have anything that you have come up with i still have my last couple but um what is what is the biggest thing your wife has taught you in marriage like marriage life kind of thing so there's a few things the first thing though uh, when we were dating a few months in she uh we were like working on homework on the couch and she just like stopped the choosing and looked at me and says you will never satisfy me I was like, the heck? We're like, (laughs) what? Oh, man, whoa. I was like, what are you saying? Like, is this not working out? And she's like, no, no, really, Tony. Like, I'm just like, it's clicking that you will never fully satisfy my heart. And like, no one can. And then that, like, I was so frustrated by that. But honestly, like, that really changed the trajectory of our relationship, even of like realizing you're right. I will never fully satisfy you. Only Jesus can. And so that has been a big thing of, like, us remembering. Yeah, it was just so random, too. I'm just like, are you trying to hurt me? Um, And so that was a big thing. And then also, like, stereotypical, like, I try to fix her problems constantly, and she just wants me to listen and to care and say that's hard and actually mean it. And so, like, I've learned a lot of empathy and patience through our marriage. Um, And, man, she is so much more patient with, with me, too. And so I've just, like love and respect her so much um for what she offers to me and even when i don't deserve it a lot of times when i don't deserve it um and so i feel like those those two things specifically that'll never satisfy her and then uh the empathy piece uh, learning to shut my mouth um 
I'll probably learn that for the rest of my life. <laughs> if you had to eat one meal and that's the only meal you ever eat again, what would it be? Mm, so like each and every meal is this meal? Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, it would probably be uh, gnocchi and like sausage with like a vodka sauce. Mm. Mm. You know what gnocchi is? No. So it's like a, a pasta, but made like based out of potato. Um, so a potato-based pasta. And then mm. vodka sauce is one of the best. It's a pink sauce. And then I love sausage. And so that'd be my meal. My last name is Landini, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I need some Italian food, some carbs. That's very interesting. Um, what is one thing that you've learned from a middle schooler and what is one thing you've learned from a high schooler? Hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be faith-based. It's just like life-based in a way. Let's see. Uh, from a middle schooler, uh, I mean, I think that it's just so on display. I think I learned from a lot of middle schoolers is that we're quick to blame <laughs> the other people. Middle schoolers are the last people to ever own up to something. Um, when we were at camp one year, uh, a bunch of middle schoolers were playing a game uh, called ball tag, um, and where they were throwing a ball at each other and they would tag each other. Um, and so uh, a bunch of the kids were playing it and then someone got tagged and they all ran into the, the room and somebody uh, put a broomstick up against the door to like lock the door in and broke the door handle and uh, the door no longer functioned. They could not leave this cabin at the camp. And so there's like 15 boys <laughs> in this cabin and uh, when I showed up, they're like telling me, Tony, we can't get out, we can't get out. I was like, okay, stop. Like you guys are totally joking. And I was like, let go of the door handle. Like we are, we are, we're all over here. Uh, and uh, like when I asked like, well, who did it? Like immediately seven people blame seven other people. Like everyone <laughs> else is at fault except for yourself uh, at that moment. And uh, yeah, so I just think like it's just such a like reflection of how quick we are to blame other people for everything. Like we never really want to own uh, our own stuff. Um, and then from a high schooler, let's see. I mean, that conversation with that senior girl was mm -hmm. huge for me. Um, and I, I think that... Uh, I've just I've really learned from high school ministry that like the long game is really like what we're in, uh, like meaning that like I'm not gonna be very encouraged if all I ever did was t like looked at each Wednesday night or each Sunday morning or each like moment I'm with a student and looked at it and said like how successful was this moment? How many times did they share uh, about what Jesus is doing in their life uh, or like those things? Like I'm not gonna be like very encouraged. Um, but when I look at uh, a, a freshman to their senior year, all the things that God has done over the course of that whole time, even like uh, there's a student right now who's a senior who's just been a stud like that. I've really enjoyed getting to know like one of my uh, one of my favorites. I'm not supposed to have one of those. Um, <laughs> and um, just so cool. Like she has grown a lot in her faith and also in just the way she cares for people. And uh, I couldn't have said that like if it was two weeks after I met her, you know, mm -hmm. like it's just been kind of like remembering that like God works in the long game more than the short game. Um, and of course he's working in the short game, but um, like I can't be so deflated when a student makes a knucklehead decision in the same way that I did in high school. Like people yeah. didn't give up on me in that, those moments, but yeah, that's what I've learned. Hmm. My last question, um, at least for now is 
if you could live in any fictional universe, what would it be? Like Marvel, Star Wars, all of like the big ones. Like, what would you do? Yeah, I've, I've been asked this one a few times, and I feel like I always change my answer because I realize <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to die. Like, in, like the, the odds are in this universe I die. Um, let's see. I I think that I would really enjoy. Let's just do it. I'd probably like Harry Potter. Like I feel like that was, that would be a, a fun one. Right answer. To to be in uh to be I would probably be in Gryffindor. Um <laughs> go for the gold baby. Uh I'm wearing a shirt that has a golden snitch on it. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I think I would be Gryffindor and that just would be really fun to hang out with Ronald Weasley and Hermione Granger, and you, uh, I guess Harry is okay. You think? You haven't taken the Pottermore test? Uh, I haven't done Pottermore, um, but everyone... That's literally the one you're supposed to take. Everyone says I, don't think I've taken I would be Gryffindor. Well, I, I, don't, I don't want bad news. I'm just going to assume that I'm in Gryffindor. I, I, know, I'm in, I know I'm in Gryffindor. I know my Patronus. I know my wand. Like I just wouldn't want to be in Ravenclaw or Slytherin. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be fine being in Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff seems like a chill place. Uh, I don't really want to be in any of them besides <laughs> Gryffindor. <laughs> My Patronus is a bloodhound. That's pretty cool. That that is a cool name. Um, last, I'm just gonna ask one last question to end on. What is your? And you can kind of go with this wherever it's gonna go. What is your favorite, or to you, what is your most important Bible verse or story for you to share with people? Hmm. Hmm. So, like, whether it's with the goal of showing them Jesus or whether it's with the goal of, like, rearranging their life or whether it's whatever it may be. Like, what is your favorite story or verse that if somebody was like, what's the one thing you want to share with me, what would it be? Yeah, I think that one of my favorite passages is John 11 um, when Jesus uh, is told that Lazarus was dying and then takes his time to get there and then eventually finds out that Lazarus is dead. Um, one of his friends, um, and when he shows up to Lazarus's home, he starts weeping um, at this uh, this understanding that his his friend's dead, like before him, and he's been dead for a few days. Um, and what's crazy about it is that Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. He knows he's about to raise Lazarus yeah. from death to life, and yet he's broken over the fact that his his friend is dead. Um, and I think when you sit with that, that Jesus is so distraught by the fact that his friend is dead, it's just this moment of him real, like him showing us that he mourns not just the fact that his friend's dead, but that death exists, that it's not the way that mm. it's supposed to be. And I think that's just one of the biggest displays of Jesus. Jesus's heart in that moment of God's heart is that that sin is still present and that breaks God's heart, and yet God still has the power to change things, hence why Jesus is there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's just crazy that Jesus kind of takes his time to get there, and it's really to put on display to everyone else of like, look, I'm going to work in my timing, and things are still going to like give me glory. Um, but that he puts his power on display that he really can bring dead things to life, um, and uh, yet it still breaks his heart that his friend was dead. And so I think that's one of my favorite passages because, I mean, Jesus does the same thing for us. He brings us yeah. to life. Even though we're all going to experience death or physical death, we're all going to take that on, uh, whether that be today or 80 years from now. Like, we're all going to experience that, yet we're going to be brought to life forever with God. And so that's, like, one of my favorite go-tos because I think that there's just so much power 
in a moment of Jesus crying and like literally weeping over this um, and just being reminded that like God's heart still breaks for us in this world. He knows how like like bad the news is every day and he knows how uh, messed up people are and yet he's continuing to work in it in the midst of it. And so that's my favorite. That's one of my favorites too. Heck yeah. That's great. Well, you got stuff to do later today. Let me give a brief <laughs> explanation of what you guys have going on later. Yeah, I'm about to head over to uh, downtown Long Beach to serve in the Long Beach Rescue Mission, uh, which will serve uh, close to 100 people a meal for uh, homeless community down there um, and then put on a chapel for them with our high school students. And so I'm about to head back to our church, kind of round up the troops and head on over. And so... Um, we'll be leading worship and giving a message uh, tonight. That'd be good. That's awesome. Fully support that. Should be a great night. That's exciting. Yeah. Yep. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for joining us. Oh, anytime. Yeah. I'll be back next week, right? <laughs> we have two open spots. I was say, so um, I mean, if I you have pencil, you topics have. of conversation that you want to have and whatever. <laughs> We'll keep you on the list. Yeah, I mean, we'll yeah, figure we it out. Figure those two we out. can't even, yeah, can't even be like. So on Tuesday, look out for. We don't have a guest yet. Just no, we'll be here Tuesday. Yeah. And Thursday. I mean, Lord willing. Like unless I get smitted right now. Smitted? <laughs> yeah, it's the tense of smite. Is it? Yeah. That's not. I smited. learned it. No, it's smitted. Oh. Yeah, I learned it in. Uh, I think my senior year of high school. Learned something new every day. But thank you guys for joining us and. um See you guys next week. Nope. Yeah, well, actually, yeah. See you guys next week. Uh, I'm Jake Mathis. I'm Jacob Armour. I'm Tony Landini. Have a great day.